This is a Dauntless Media Collective podcast. Visit dauntless.fm for more content. Producers note, this episode contains detailed discussions of non-consensual outing, mental health emergencies, and suicidal ideation. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Full Mutuality Podcast. I know it's been a while since our last episode, so we wanted to provide you with a quick update on where we've been at and say thank you for your patience as we've navigated a very busy season in our jobs, families, personal lives. Today's episode is much longer than usual, and we decided we don't want to break this episode up like we've done in the past because you're an adult and you can handle hitting pause and getting back to this later if you need to listen over a few sittings. It's a good episode. So we'll try and keep this update as short as possible. So if you've been following any of the news in the evangelical world, you're probably aware that evangelical Christianity's biggest brand, Hillsong Church, is in the midst of a very public collapse filled with breaking news scandals, hitting media outlets um, seemingly every single day. Every day. So we talked about it in our last two episodes with Janice Lagata, who talks a lot about her own Hillsong experiences and others in her podcast, God Has Not Given. Um, so as all of the news was breaking, we actually recorded a couple more conversations with two other Hillsong survivors, Noemi Uribe and Wes Curtis. As we mentioned in a recent episode, we just started a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash fullmutuality. In case you're wondering, we're not trying to profit off this podcast, and we don't currently earn any revenue from what we do here. It's a labor of love to you all. We're not planning to launch any deconstruction classes, and we'll continue providing our content at no cost to our listeners and followers, but it does cost money to operate, including hosting fees, equipment costs, software licenses. Uh, So that comes out of our own pocket, and if you're able to help us out, we truly appreciate anything you can offer. You can even become our first patron as that spot is still available. Okay, going back a little bit. Uh, So before all of the Hillsong news hit a fever pitch in recent months um, with Brian Houston's resignation, the Discovery Plus documentary dropping, uh, we actually had recorded a conversation with Kayla Felton, who is the co-founder of Reclamation Collective, uh, an organization that provides care and support to people who have experienced religious trauma or adverse religious experiences. And after all of these Hillsong episodes, I think we're all going to need to hear from a religious trauma therapist. So be sure to subscribe if you haven't already so that you don't miss out on that conversation. Um, Now, we normally don't really preview upcoming conversations um, in the podcast ahead of time. Um, But we wanted to actually bring this up because Reclamation Collective has announced their summer support groups, including one that is specifically for Hillsong survivors, which they're providing free of charge for anyone who has suffered trauma from their time at Hillsong. Yeah, they're doing the hard work that churches are not doing to look after all those harmed. Um, and that reason is because, of course, it's the churches causing the harm, and they don't want to take responsibility for their messes, so others are having to pick up the pieces. Unfortunately, the support group has already filled up, which isn't a big surprise. Um, clearly, they're meeting a really important need. But if you're able, please consider donating to the Reclamation Collective and mentioning Hillsong Support Group in your donation note. And just so you know, anything that we receive from our patrons that goes beyond what we need to operate, the podcast will go towards the community to this and other support groups offered by Reclamation Collective. So thanks so much for listening, everyone. And now, without further ado... 
Here is our conversation with Noemi Uribe. Hi, I'm Nate. I'm drinking alcohol. No, oh, Nate, gotta do that again. <laughs> sorry. I- <laughs> that needs to make Whoops. it in. <laughs> <laughs> this is how we podcast, folks. Sorry. It's not super wholesome all the time. <laughs> if you've been following our podcast at all, you are probably aware that we've been um, covering some of the uh, the Hillsong kerfuffle, I suppose, is one way of putting it. Um, and we've had... Um, we've had a series of episodes that have been covering what's been going on. Um, a little backstory for myself, if you haven't listened uh, to any of our previous episodes. Um, I am a former member and producer from Hillsong NYC. Um, and we, I mean, I left back in 2017. So uh, a lot of the fallout that's been going on over the last few years, I haven't really um, been keeping up with like, or at least I wasn't inside the church when all of this was going on. Of course, I was keeping up with it from the outside, because how can you not when you were a part of this thing? Um, but Noemi Uribe is um, a queer Latinx advocate who currently lives in Boston. And uh, they were a part of um, Hillsong Boston. But before we dive into their story, we uh, let's let's get a little bit of, a, of your backstory. Um, I'm sorry, before we dive into their Hillsong story. Let's get a little bit of your backstory, maybe with regards to faith, um, spirituality, and so on, kind of leading up to, um, to the, I guess, the conversation uh, of the hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, my pronouns are she, they. Um, I like to say that just in case there's other queer folks who are wondering or anybody else who's wondering. Um, I grew up in a Latinx uh, Pentecostal church. Uh, My dad was a preacher, uh, at one point was a pastor, and then was a missionary as well. And all of his brothers are pastors. Uh, The majority are still there as pastors. Um, So it was a very charismatic, Pentecostal, like, should have bought a Honda kind of people. Um, So... That was really, uh, from the time I was five, my dad was, uh, became a pastor when I was 11, we moved to Mexico and that's where he did more of his missionary work. Um, and then he ended up passing away when I was 16. Uh, so a big part of my life was being in church, um, helping set up, uh, in Mexico, helping with the kids ministry, Um, they would do a lot of the music ministry. So a lot of my faith, I often say was my parents, their faith. Um, and I kind of started gaining my own faith in college. Uh, so early on, I knew clearly a lot of things, uh, about their theology and what they believed in. Um, and we can go into that more later of like, Mm. Uh, like homosexuality and and churches who are more ambiguous and those who are very vocal about it, um, about their homophobia, um, which is the kind of church I grew up in, uh, which I honestly now prefer to know their Mm, homophobia up front to know if it's a safe space or not. Um, 
in comparison to places like Hillsong. So that was a big part of me growing up, learning early on uh, my boundaries, what I can do as a woman um, or a person who identified as a woman when I was younger. Um, Now I am non-binary, but that was a big part of of me growing up, figuring out that I couldn't um, preach or I couldn't be leading. I could only teach or I can only do kids ministry and knowing there wasn't going to be a clear future um, in vocational ministry if I were to want to stay, um, which after seeing what I saw with dealings within my family and like pastors, I was like, that's not a life I want. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was like a big part of my kind of faith growing up. And then uh, after my dad passed away, I moved back to the U.S. and I went to college in Arizona, Northern Arizona. Um, and there I became a part of Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship. Mm. Very familiar in Canada with Inner Varsity. Yeah. I was, I was a part of a Christian fellowship that was linked up to Inner Varsity. And I went to Urbana, which was Inner Varsity, attended many of Urbanas. <laughs> so hmm. I don't know if you ever went to those. I did. I went once. Urbana oh, 15. Okay. All right. Uh, so we're both Urbana alumni. I'm trying to think if I was there in 15, which was the last one I attended before I was out. It might have been 15, perhaps. Might have been. I'm trying to think. That was was the one and only one I went to. Wow. Definitely remember that stuff. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So I was part of InterVarsity and that was really the first time. So within Were you my on staff, sorry to cut you off. Were you on staff at InterVarsity? No, no, no. They wanted me to be on staff, but no, oh, no. Yeah, and that was because so I was part of InterVarsity from freshman year. I tried to go, but again, I grew up in this very Pentecostal like this church is the only church that will be saved kind of church. Um, yeah. So when I went to InterVarsity and saw all these people from different denominations. Uh, it's very interdenominational. Um, but still very evangelical, though. Oh, right? yeah. Yes. It's clearly yes. evangelical, but mm-hmm. they say they're interdenominational because they're bringing people yes. in. But they're not. Yeah, they're trying you know, to convert. They'll have, they'll have some evangelical Catholics, you know, at yeah. some of the stuff. You know, they'll, and they exist. <laughs> so yeah. that's it's very interesting. I see them more in, like, the the general chapter. I was part of the Latinx, uh, the Latino Fellowship, so La Fe. And we were very careful about how we navigated the conversation uh, with Catholic and Protestant Latino students uh, because Catholicism and Christianity or Protestant Christianity have a really big conflict. Um, And Mm -hmm. throughout history and Mm -hmm. throughout Latin America, there's a huge conflict. It divided my family. My grandparents from my mom's side were Catholic. And when my mom converted to Protestant Christianity, they kind of almost disowned her um, Mm. because of that. So we would see that within um, a lot of uh, students, Latino students, who would know they were from different sides of the spectrum of Christianity, and that was not a fun conversation. So La Fe was a place to bring people together and bridge the gap. Um, Mm. So while the general chapter was doing very evangelical interdenominational with quotations <laughs> uh, La Fe was doing more of bridging the gap with Catholic and Protestant uh, Latinx students um, and That's I was a, a leader within that so yeah 
Mm. I feel like I, I relate, like, not just on the Urbana side, but I also come from a, a Pentecostal background. And mine's Italian Pentecostal. So when you speak of that Catholic, like, in, in Italian culture, if you were Christian, you were Catholic or evangelical. And Pentecostal specifically. You were an Italian Pentecostal or you were, or you were Catholic. Those are the two, the two things. And, and within our Pentecostal, because I grew up Italian Pentecostal, within our church, that navigating the Catholic roots, because everyone was Catholic before they became evangelical, was, it was so contentious. And there was so much cultural stuff involved in that. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally tracking with you on a lot of this sounds very familiar. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And similar things happen in Latin America. And now I, when you hear like places like Brazil that are having like the biggest Pentecostal mm. movements that are growing there, I think it's the number one country in Latin America uh, where uh, Pentecostalism is growing the fastest. Um, mm. You can start seeing that within families as well. Uh, because yeah. Catholicism was there before due to like colonization. So, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. It's a big part of it. But yeah, so I was a part of InterVarsity and that was a big part of my faith change um, because I started questioning a lot of things. InterVarsity mm-hmm. is very keen to people asking questions and manuscripting scripture. Right. And why does it say this? And for me growing up, um, my dad allowed us to ask questions at home. Um, we would have questions about science and like theology, um, and he welcomed it all into the home. But when it came to uh, having uh, more in-depth conversations about certain topics, it was uh, sometimes it wasn't welcomed or it was like, this is the answer and you either take it or you leave it. Um mm-hmm. So when I became part of InterVarsity, that was like a safe space for me to ask all the questions. And I finally had someone else I could go to to ask all these questions because my dad had passed away. All right. Um, so that was really eye-opening for me to be able to like learn about, um, at least ask all the questions I was looking for within theology. And then I was also minoring in world religions or comparative religion. Okay. Um, because again, I was like trying to fill the void of not having my dad to go to for questions. Um, so I started minoring in religion and I started learning about the history of uh, religions in general, mm. but more specifically Christianity within Latin America and then evangelical Christianity um, and theology um, and words like eschatology started coming up or okay. fundamentalism Um Where'd you go to school, by the way? It wasn't a, it wasn't a Christian Bible college, so you were oh, getting no, actual... Oh, no, no, no. No, okay, it was a public school. I oh, mean, okay. getting a worldview that's actually more objective is harder to get in a in a Bible college that's trying to reinforce, you know, this is the right way, right? No, and, and I knew early on, because I did apply to a Christian school um, for college, uh, but then I thought about wanting to get a world worldview. I had had friends who had only gone to Christian schools and they didn't know how to talk to people just like mm. on a regular basis or like have an actual debate with someone or have just hold a conversation without telling them you're wrong, like actually listening. Yeah. Um, and so that you, was wanted your, you wanted your view to be challenged. Like yeah. You wanted yourself to, to know how to debate and discuss. Yeah. Even though you were coming from that evangelical position. You were still you were wanting that pushback. Yeah. And, and in the home, my dad allowed that outside of the home we couldn't do that so it was like hmm. um and and he pushed us towards wanting to have those types of conversations like when hmm. we would go somewhere my dad would have to go preach somewhere 
and the pastor there would say something that was not okay, uh, we would hold it until we were in the car ride home. Oh, Be like, okay. he said this. I don't like that. Can we do, like digest that? Mm. Um, and and he was really good about having those conversations with us and saying, yeah, I didn't agree with it either. So mm. why don't we so agree you, with it? And then we would talk about it. Um, so he set a foundation of, of setting you up for having really rich conversations that kind of allowed you to ask questions about what, you know, not to take, take it whatever is being said by a pastor as an authority uh, for, for just like, take it for cash, you know, like it's legit. And you should yeah. And he would tell me like, pastors are human. We make mistakes too. Like I'm not perfect at all. Uh, and, and he showed me his flaws and we would talk about that. Um, so f- coming from a place where a pastor or a leader in the home or a missionary, someone in front of, in the pulpit preaching could be human. Um, and he would be very open about that with the people he he spoke with. Mm. Um, that was something that was very different when I went to a church like Hillsong, where things were getting a lot of pushback. Um, mm. But we can get to that later. Um, but yeah, so I was part of university. And uh, in 2015, after I went to Urbana, um, I started questioning if the church that I attended, which was that of the one I had grown up in, uh, was the one I wanted to stay in. Uh, Was that a place where I wanted to thrive or like have my family? I already didn't agree with a lot of things theologically. Mm. Um, So I had this like come to Jesus moment there at Urbana, like everyone does because, you know, emotional music and they're trying to get you sleep deprived. Um, So it all happened and I spoke to one of my mentors there and I told her that I was feeling like it was time for me to confront the pastors where I had grown up in and like step away um, and leave officially. Um, That was one thing that my parents always did teach us of like, if you're going to leave somewhere, don't just like disappear, like be upfront about it and go tell them at least. they, they appreciated it as leaders and pastors as well for people to just come and tell them. And they'd be like, okay, like find wherever works for you. Um, so I was going to do that. And so I sat down and I told myself if I can think of at least five things that I don't agree with this church theologically or just in general, um, then I'm going to do it. And I ended up having to stop at 10. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. You're yeah. like, once I get into this, this hole keeps going deeper. I yeah. Probably and I went to the pastor and I requested a meeting and I got it. I was able to pull in my sister for moral support. Um, and I was surrounded by the pastors and they're like, all right, tell us what you want. Um, they thought I was going to tell them, oh, I've sinned and whatever, you know, typical meeting. Right. Um, <laughs> but I just told them straight up, like, I'm here to read this list to you of the reasons why I'm leaving. And they like immediately stopped me and said, Nope, you're going to hell. You're leaving the truth. You're twisted. Uh, and that for me was really, uh, critical. And like, it really shaped the way I then started to view pastors. Um, I had seen them in a different way because my dad protected me from a lot of that, of not seeing certain pastors who were, uh, big egomaniacs. Yeah, or narcissist. Um, Control freaks, narcissistic. Yeah, and so that was something that my dad protected my siblings and I a lot from because he knew that would really affect 
um, our views of Christianity and our faith. Mm. Um, so when I saw that up front and for it to be directed at me, that's when I was like, I don't ever want to be a part of a church like this. I'm going to be very strategic about how I look for a church. Hmm. So I went back to college. Uh, that was my junior year. So I had, uh, I finished that all up. I officially left. Um, and I told my leader, uh, I had already gotten into grad school in Boston. So I asked her, can you pray with me? Um, I really want to find a church in Boston that is culturally diverse uh, because I had grown up in a Latinx church and I wanted to see different kinds of people um, mm. in the church that I was going to attend uh, and a place where everyone is welcome. Those are my two requirements. I just want to see everyone be able to have a seat at the table. Um, La Fe was huge of there's always room for more like we're a family we all sit together and have dinner like a latinx family um regardless of how our stance or theology is like we can talk about it uh, right. and we're going to find commonality and let's think about the commonalities rather than what divides us um and so i wanted that in a place where i could go to church like there could obviously be differences and we can talk about it and debate it but at the end of the day we can get up and say hey let's go grab a drink um, and that was a place that I wanted to have, uh, as a church. So I told my mentor that like a place that's diverse, um, ethnically and racially diverse and a place that is, uh, welcoming of all people. Hmm. And, uh, we prayed and I, a year later, uh, came to Boston and yeah, that's kind of where it all began here in Boston. <laughs> So you got to Boston, um, it was in, what what year was that? 20... 2017. 2017, okay. Yes. So that was that was the year that I left Hillsong, um, which I guess would make sense because um, I had been interacting quite a, quite a bit with Josh Kimes um, while he was here. For those who don't here. know, Josh Kimes was in NYC and then yeah. later became the pastor of Hillsong Boston. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and around, I guess around the time that I left, it was probably just before I left, um, was when Josh, um, Josh and Leona moved to, um, uh, to Boston. So, okay. So that gives me a little bit of a, of an idea of like the time frame and whatnot. So 2017, um, rolls around, you find at that point, uh, my, I guess my Hillsong timeline kind of fades um, around there. So, had um, had Hillsong Boston fully launched? Um, no, no. Okay. Yeah. So I get to Boston. I had attended Hillsong Phoenix twice okay. in the summer. So I graduate in May. I go down to live in Phoenix with my sisters, um, and a friend invites me because I was no longer going to my their church, my family's church. So then my friend invites me like, oh, I'm going to Hillsong with my sister. Do you want to come? So we all go visit um, in Hillsong, Phoenix. And uh, that's where I kind of started hearing about things that were happening within. And I fill out a prayer card or like a, uh, a welcome card because they were giving out a free cup to whoever filled out a card. And I was like, oh, I, I want a cup too. Um, so I filled one out. <laughs> And I put my info and I said, I'm moving to Boston. Um, can Could you pray that I could find a church there? And I just left it. 
A few weeks later, I get a message saying, there's Hillsong Boston that's starting. Um, maybe we can get you connected with people there. Uh, and that's all I heard. I knew mm. something was happening in Boston because of okay. that card. Uh, because they had probably heard it at what, like Heart for the House or whatever they call it. Um, yeah. And I'm glad I'm forgetting the lingo. Um, <laughs> but um, So that's how I had heard about Boston happening. So when I get here, uh, one day I was laying on my bed. I was like, oh, I should like look for more churches. Like what's around my area? I had already kind of moved in. And this was like fast forward in September 2017. Okay. Um, I see that. Hillsong or the Boston location had had their first worship service. So that it okay. wasn't even an official like Wednesday night or Sunday, nothing. It was just a worship service they had had. And it had happened the day before. And I was like, oh crap, like I missed it. So I see that the, the worship night had happened. And I was like, okay, um, let me fill out like some more information. So I fill out like a My Hillsong, whatever. And that's mm-hmm. like a profile you can fill out in their website. Yeah. Um, to get you connected, to get to like connect groups. So I sign up for, or I ask for more information um, on the block, which is like an East Coast mm-hmm. thing. Um, I've learned that over the years that other campuses don't use the word the block. Oh, I didn't realize that. I, yeah. I, I thought that was just a Hillsong, general Hillsong lingo. I've heard people in Australia when I've like told them about the block, they're like, what is that? So... Oh. I don't know if it's just like a, a U.S. thing or like an actual East Coast thing, but huh. that's that's what it was. So like youth and young adults, kind of yeah. more young adults than anything. But yeah, so I, I feel, feel like it's it in out. Hillsong young adults, period. Like that's, that's that is sort of a Hillsong. <laughs> so <laughs> the majority of the yeah. people there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I immediately get um, not immediately within like a few hours, I get a message from someone Uh one of the leaders and they're like, oh, we're having uh, a midweek like kind of Bible study just to get to know people. Would you like to come? They give me the location. Um, and I was like, oh, sure. Like I'm still getting to know different churches in the area. And I wanted to see if this was a good spot. So I go and it's probably like a Monday or Tuesday. And uh, we're like, I get there. And one of the leaders is um, Indian. And then okay. uh, I don't want to say names because they were volunteers. And mm. um, I'll say the names of people who are being paid. Yeah. So this person was Indian. And then there's two other people who are white. And I was like, okay, well, some diversity. That's fine. And the rest of the people in the crowd are like um, in the circle because it was a few of us sitting around a table. They were like um, Asian and Latinx. And I was like, oh, like there's a good mix of like, Mm. like young people here like this is fun uh so like that was kind of fulfilling one of my criteria of like diverse Mm. i was like all right um so we started talking and we have like a little like meet and greet kind of thing and at the end of it they say um the indian guy like stands up he's like all right well thank you everyone for coming um we just want to let you know that this coming wednesday is going to be our first volunteer night so if you want to be a part of Hillsong Boston and help us volunteer by volunteering, come to this, you'll be trained and like you can get more involved. And I was like, dude, you don't even know if I'm a Christian. <laughs> yeah, like you're just yeah. standing up and already asking me to volunteer. So it's funny. It's funny that you say that because when I hit when I got to Hillsong, I actually was 
um, coming from, I had been on, um, on the ministerial staff of another church that was, uh, pretty much, I guess the best way to describe it or the easiest way to describe it is, um, a, um, like a, a kind of a knockoff of Mark Driscoll's original style of like the Mars Hill hyper Calvinist, um, post grunge, but like they drew lines in the sand about your doctrines. So like we had, you had these church covenants you had to sign, you had to test, like testify that you had accepted Christ and that you, you know, adhered to, like, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like practically adhering to all the five points of, you know, uh, Calvinism soteriology, right? So that was the environment I came from, and I was, I was pushing against that hard. So when I got to Hillsong, the fact that they were like, you can just, you can volunteer, and they weren't doing any sort of checks, like, there's no doctrinal um, statement that I have to adhere to. This That's cool. Like, you can just sort of, you know, I say I'm a Christian, and, cool. And probably piece of, <laughs> a piece of that in your story, Nate, which you didn't mention, but I think it's relevant is that, you know, part of your being pushed out although they didn't say it explicitly, had to do with you pushing back against doctrine, had to do with, you know, the being asked to resign, having, you know, they didn't explicitly say it, but you started asking the wrong questions and started hanging with the wrong leaders that were leaving who were asking the questions they didn't like. So, I mean, I think, you know, that whole feeling of uh, being forced to believe certain things in order to be in service and, you know, that was your job. So it was quite probably quite traumatic to to go out on those kind of terms and then then you're at Hillsong and then it's like you know yeah you don't have to sign anything you don't have to agree with any specific thing to be part of it it's very different yeah so I guess for me it's sort of the opposite of of your experience at least as I'm hearing it right because mm-hmm. you're you're looking a little bit side eye at the fact that they're not even they're not even asking you if you're if you're a Christian it's kind of quick though yeah kind of quick first meeting first meeting yeah. hey yeah. want to volunteer and i think <laughs> the reason why i viewed it like why aren't they checking if i'm even a christian was because of the way i had grown up of like right the people who are volunteering in church are people who are constantly attending um and they've like have this uh record of being like good attendees and so then right. they if they ask to volunteer um, or the pastor goes to them and be like, you're pretty consistent. Can you help us in this area? Um, it's like they're vetting you properly, you know, they yeah. care that their volunteers actually are, are somewhat vetted. That's how Hillsong gets you to become a consistent attendee. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they get you to volunteer. And they, they put tell you, on you a like, schedule. to become part of the family, like come and go to growth <laughs> yeah. track. So you got involved at Hillsong. What were you doing? What um uh, What team were you on? Yeah, so I started off as a host. Um, when I first walked in, um, I noticed that a lot of the people who were welcoming, um, and this was just a volunteer night, not even the first Wednesday, um, they were all white, like all white women. Um, Mm. and so that for me was like, uh, like, how are you? Like, I want a diverse church. Like that was my first category. So it's like, how can I make this happen? Um, and so I joined the host team and I was the only Brown person there. Uh, and at first it was really awkward because we would have like our little team huddles and like, okay, who has a prayer request? And I'd be like, yeah, my mom is going through the immigration process. Can you like pray for her? And they were like, oh, like, what is that? So it was like, um, or some of them were like. Request number two, can Hillsong become more diverse? (laughs) Yeah. Say that here. (laughs) So I was like, oh crap, like I need to stay here. 
in order for more people to come in that look like me. That was my first thought of like, how can I be part of this, like welcoming in? Um, Mm. So I became part of the host team and I was at the door, like they put me in the front. Uh, So as people were coming in, they would see a brown person, they would like come towards me and I would like sit them down. If they only spoke Spanish, like I would talk to them in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, that was like really cool. Cause I was like, oh, I'm like the one that they see. You it saw looks like, like the, the way you made people just feel welcome in, in that space and how it made yeah. a big difference to them. Yeah. Yeah. And I quickly rose to like helping out um, in leadership there. So I was in charge of uh, certain areas of the host team. Um, and then I was starting to get really exhausted because uh, I'm not an extrovert and Hillsong is very extroverted and mm. you thrive there if you're an extrovert. And that was like not my thing. Um, did Boston have the big church vibe the way Manhattan does? Like, did, did so it feel more of a small church vibe or did it feel like it started church? off uh, on Wednesday night? So uh, it, we started off in a and I say we because I was part of it. Um, uh, at a, it was a Baptist church. It's called Ruggles Baptist Church. Um, it's a smaller okay. church and I thought it looked cool. Cause like I was used to a smaller church like that. You could probably fit 250. I think that was the count we got. Um, could sit in like there were actual pews, uh, like wooden pews. Um, and the lighting looked really cool for me because I, I had never seen lighting in a church like that. So the mm. architecture mixed with like the modern and the modern lighting. It's a beautiful um, combination. Yeah, it made it really nice. Um, so for me, I was like, oh, maybe this is what we're going to be doing on Sundays. Like, I can do this. Uh, so that's where it started. And then we went to Royale, which is a nightclub here in Boston. Mm. Um, weirdly enough, they are under Royale downstairs. There's another club that is a, a gay club. I don't know why they would rent out a place. Um that was a gay club and I don't know why the club would allow them to be in there. What's funny, yeah. So there's um uh for like team nights and stuff in Manhattan, um I forgot what church they would hold them at. There was this church downtown. Um and it was um it was a mainline, it was an old mainline church. They were pretty progressive and they had little pride flags um all all around their their property and well they used to have like like a handful like two or three like larger size pride flags but when hillsong would show up they would take them down um they you know put stash them in a closet or something um i didn't make mean to make a pun there but um (laughs) so so then (laughs) yeah Yeah. you're going back in that closet so um and and it became kind of a, a point of contention between this this church. I, I think they're an Episcopal church. I could be wrong. Um, but it was an old mainline church. It was a little point of tension between them and Hillsong. And they stopped letting Hillsong use their facility for for team night. Um, so I think at one point the church was getting fed up with with Hillsong like stashing the pride flags in a closet that they they instead of decorating with like three or four large pride flags, they would put like hundreds of tiny yes. little pride flags all over the the property. So the, so then even if, if Hillsong wanted to come back, they, they wouldn't because that would be a pain in the ass to have to take all of that down. Uh, so either, so either you leave all of this stuff up or you just don't come, wow. you know, <laughs> well, there was a church so. that they tried to rent here 
rent out for a midweek um, instead of Royale. I heard about this later because uh, I joined the events team after I joined. I left host. Oh, okay. Um, and the church had a lot of pride flags. So then the events team went to the the venue or the church leaders and like, can we take some of these things down? And they said, no, why would you take that down? Like, this is our mm. decorations. You work around it. Yeah. Um, and so then Hillsong was like, okay, then we can't rent it out. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of where well, my wheels started turning. But yeah. yeah, they did. They did the same. So the church that, um, that Gail and I attend Ooh, now. Can I tell the story? Oh, you were actually more involved. So go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so when I started attending there, um, they, uh, I, I got to know the pastor pretty well. And, uh, she pulled, when she found out that I, um, had come from Hillsong, um, she pulled me into her office once and just kind of, um, was asking me some questions because apparently she had to have some dealings with Hillsong. The, the, um, Hillsong Montclair was meeting right across the street from, uh, from, from our church. And our church has like the, the biggest pride flag in Montclair is just like yeah, draped, draped across the, the, the building. So, um, so John Termini called um, our pastor and asked about renting the space because they wanted to start doing an evening service, but they they couldn't afford to to use the Wellmont for their evening service, and it wasn't likely that they would have the 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 numbers that they have in the morning. Um, so they wanted to start off um, at a smaller in a smaller venue, and our church isn't isn't a small venue. I think total seating capacity is probably like close to a thousand, but it's it's designed in in that sort of old cathedral way where so if you're a you know, small group it feels cozy yeah. you can all sit around the front yeah. you don't have to use the balconies and whatnot exactly okay yeah. so so he he calls and asks about renting but he he was asking for the pastor I, I don't remember the story very clearly so I could be fucking it up but um I'll just I'll tell it as I remember it and then you know if if Reverend Dan is listening to this I'm sorry I'm I'm screwing up the story um but. Uh, if I remember correctly, he had called and and wanted to pass, wanted to talk to the pastor. Didn't realize that our pastor was a woman, um, and kind of got salty with her. Um, and she she basically said, "Look, um, first of all, I know who you are. I have people in my congregation who who escaped your church and were severely traumatized by you, and." Um, what would it say to my congregation if they drove, if one of them drove by one night and saw the big Hillsong logo on the side of our building, how would that, how could I face my people if mm. I did something like that? Additionally, I know you're going to want to take our pride flag down and that is something that we never take down. Mm. So you'll have to work around it, but also it's not happening. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I was I was very grateful when when uh, when she told me that story. <laughs> That's awesome. There, yeah, we need more pastors like that. Yeah. Wow. Um. So so you you went from host team to events, and events is sort of a big step up. So if yeah. for for those listening who aren't aware of like the 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 lingo. Yeah, I'm like this. What team are you on? Yeah. I feel like that's a Hillsong question. That yeah. the rest of us are like, what's yeah. that all about? <laughs> Yeah, because it also it also helps to categorize some of there were some lines drawn in the sand yeah, between some of the teams. Because that's right? what tells you what access you had. Yeah. So these are so the, exactly. the important point to take away in, in terms of this conver this part of our conversation is that Hillsong is a little bit of a 
a lot of a ladder climbing church and there are many different levels to it and working your way up into the important levels is a part of the whole system. And you work up by volunteering in different Mm -hmm. areas. Yep. Yep. So uh, it's it's funny you say events. I I have so many memories of dealing with the events team because um, as a service dealing, producer, I love the to. word. Yeah, yeah. And they were and they weren't they weren't good. This was not healthy interaction. I wouldn't call this like church interaction at all. It was, no. and it wasn't even good business interaction. Nope. It was it was hostile. Mm-hmm. Um, and because. The thing is, we all wanted to ladder climb. And just to clarify, the, you were part of creative, right? I was part of creative. Okay. We thought yep. the same thing about creative. Yep. See, and it happened in Boston the same way it happened in New yeah. York. Wow. So for people who like, think it's oh. one place, it's interesting when these systems <laughs> replicate themselves in every Hillsong church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And it replicates because the leader, uh, the events leader came from New Jersey. Oh. So they brought the system over here. I see. And I won't and say their name because yeah, they're a volunteer. Because they were a volunteer. But I think I know who you're talking about. After we hit stop, I'm yeah. going to ask you to confirm. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of the events people from yeah. New Jersey because of that. Mm. Uh, the people who started the events team in Connecticut. Um, oh, and right, right. in Manhattan. And I had to mm-hmm. go to New York to train. The Chapel Probation Podcast takes a critical look at evangelical colleges and universities focusing initially on Azusa Pacific University, where I taught English for 15 years. I'm Scott Okamoto, and I'm writing a book about how I deconstructed from faith completely while at APU. This podcast, though, is my tribute to the students and other faculty who survived evangelical higher education. They faced ridiculous racism, sexism, anti-LGBTQ hatred, and all manner of bigotry. From the heartless evils of the prosperity gospel to the destructive pseudo-theology of purity culture, the stories will break your heart, but they will also inspire. These people faced bigotry and fought back. In a weird, kind of sick way, we went through some shit, but we formed identities and we formed communities through it all. I hope you will join us. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying this episode. I want to take a quick break from the conversation to let you know that we have a fantastic new way for you to support the podcast. If you like what you hear from our show and want to partner with us, head over to patreon.com slash fullmutuality to donate. As a partner, you'll get exclusive content, access to occasional live recording events, and more for as little as $5 a month. Thank you already for your support of what we're creating. And now, back to the conversation. So I want to transition to to probably a little bit more of a maybe challenging um, conversation, Um, some questions that I had, because uh, knowing that you had joined in 2017, uh, I guess the first question is, were you aware of, um, or maybe actually, let me back up a little bit more. Um, At what point did you get a better sense of your own um, uh, gender identity or sexual orientation? Um, Was that before or after that was uh, after Hillsong. I had joined it was Hillsong. After Hillsong, okay, mm-hmm. okay. So that changes how I um, how I frame my question. So, at, so then at that point, um, was that like did that become kind of a clear delineation? Like this place isn't isn't safe for me, or were you not aware of perhaps some of the drama that had taken place um, in New York? How how did all of that play out for you? That's a good question. Yeah, I wasn't aware because I didn't Google and 
you have mm. to really look and use specific words in order to find it. Hillsong is really good about hiding certain things. Yeah. Um, they have the money to do it. Uh, so when I started, so I had joined in 2017, um, in at the end of 2017, so like October. By February 2018, we started Sunday services at Royale. Um, so I was doing events lead. I was super busy all the time, um, running around on Sundays. And then because I had left home and I was far away, um, I had the space to, and, and the safety to start questioning again. And I say again, because I always knew that there was something different about me in comparison to my siblings. Uh, I knew from the age of like four, like I had a crush on my preschool teacher, uh, teacher Kelly. She was really cute and I loved her and I always wanted to be with her. I didn't know English very well. And I learned English in order to talk to her. Uh, when I was around six, my brother got married. He's like 13 years older than me and he's the only brother I have. So then when my sister-in-law came to live with us for a bit, my mom was like, oh, you're the best daughter-in-law I've ever had. And she kind of laughs responding, oh, I'm the only one you'll ever have. And so they're like laughing within them. And I'm over here, a six-year-old sitting like, wait, why, why is she the only one? Like, why can't I marry a girl? Um, hmm. Wow. So that's a question you were asking yourself really young, even before you recognized. Yeah. And, and when we would play Barbies, it was like, why do I have to have Ken? Why does Ken only have to be a boyfriend? Can we get rid of Ken? <laughs> Can yeah, I'm like, he's not very cute. You can't really do his hair. Um, <laughs> so, I would just, so I would just be like, oh, either the single Barbie or like a best friend would live with her. Because uh, I learned really quickly at home, like, uh, you can't, like, homosexuality or LGBTQ people um, are sinning and that's not right. Um was there a piece of you that were that developed a shame as in something might with me might fit with that category or like in your head that question didn't didn't surface yet? Um, it, there was some shame, but at the same time, I think I pushed it down so much. Uh, my dad was uh, diagnosed with lupus when I was around seven. So that took a huge part of uh, what I was thinking and the things that I was doing. Um so I was There's in and out of the hospital. You weren't asking. That, yeah. That just... So I didn't have time to ask it because at the time there wasn't a lot of research for lupus. So doctors are like, didn't know how to treat my dad. He, they were saying one day, oh, he's going to die tonight. Say goodbye. And then the next day we'd come in, he's still alive. We're like, oh, great. I still have a dad. Uh, so that was like a wow. huge part. And, and there's a lot of trauma that came from that. Um, so I didn't have the time to be thinking about myself. Everything had to be about my family. Um, and if my dad were to not be around, like, how do we support my mom? Um, as siblings, like, we were asking each other that. Like, what do we do about church? Like, what do we do about, like, different little things that or our house or school? Um, so I had to grow up really fast at home because of that, uh, which is what ended up taking him when I was 16. Uh, he ended up passing away. Uh, due to lupus complications um, that made his kidneys fail. And that's a whole another thing you can Google. Uh, it's like super complicated. We don't have to get into that. Um, so I didn't have time growing up to think about it. So now that I was in a space where 
I was away from home, one. Uh, and I say away from home because I didn't have a safe space to do it at home. My right. One of my sisters had questioned and that did not go well. And so that put me further in the closet. So I was like, I questioned cannot... on in terms of her sexuality. Yeah. Oh, okay. So she had questions her, her sexuality. I saw how my mom had reacted, which was not pretty. Um, and so then that put me further in the closet. So when I was finally really far away across the country, or she was at least in Mexico on the Pacific side, and I was in Boston. Mm. Now I was like, I can do this. But I'm, I'm far away. And I couldn't even do it in Arizona because I was still close. Like I felt I was <laughs> still too close. So I was in Boston. And I start asking these questions of like, wait, something's different. Um, and I've always known this, but I've never allowed myself to go there. Um, so then I start, I take a class uh, in graduate school. Um, I, I was getting my master's in public health. Uh, I took a class in gender uh, and sexuality within healthcare, which okay. is a really cool class. Uh, and our first class, we had to give our identity um, and this was like a memory I, I remembered recently. I was like, oh, wow. Um, we had to go around the class, share who you are, share your, what makes you, you. So like all of your identities. And so everyone is sharing like, oh, I'm queer. I'm non-binary. I was like, what are these words? I've never heard. Um, so it comes to me and I'm like, I'm straight. I don't know what else. And they're like cisgender. I was like, I don't know what that means, but okay. Um, and it kind of goes to the next person. And I'm like, those don't feel right. Uh, there's something not, there's something different. So as the class kept going, um, I began to question more. And it was a safe space because there was a lot of queer people in the class. So then I could ask questions to them. Like, tell me about you. Like, what does love look like for you? What does daily life look like for you? Because whenever I would think about queer couples or LGBTQ couples, um, Christian evangelicalism tends to only think about sex and it's uh -huh. really frustrating, uh, because there's more to a person than sex. And that Amen. was what was really frustrating for me, uh, growing yeah. up that I didn't really care for it because I was little. Uh -huh. And now that I had the space to do it and I was realizing it, and I was seeing how they were flourishing and they were in relationships that were really healthy and living their best lives. Um, that was something I wanted for myself. So I had this space in school where I could start questioning. Um, but I was also attending Hillsong. And so then it gets to the point where I'm like, okay, I think I'm, I'm queer. Um, at the time I was saying bye because I wanted to give my mom some sense of hope that I could marry a man. I knew internally that was never going to happen. Mm. Um, so I was like, I think this is my identity. Uh, I wasn't even questioning my gender identity at the time. So then I was like, what does that look like within Hillsong, within the church that I'm attending? Mm. Um, so then that's where my question started to like arise of my faith. Uh, and I started to try to look within the website for Hillsong and I couldn't find anything. Um, and at the time we were going through growth track had started. Okay. So if you don't know what growth track is, it's when you want to volunteer, uh, you go through four sessions and I forget what the B's it's the four B's 
uh, believe, belong, become, and build. I think those are the four. Okay. Um, memory unlocked. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> uh, so you had to go through growth track and at the end of it, uh, you had to sign a code of conduct and the code of conduct wasn't implemented until probably like six months after I had started. Um, so I was part of the events team. We were putting on growth track and we supposedly had to sit and watch them. I didn't have time to do that. So I was like, yep, I did it, whatever. And they would just like check mark it because they knew. Uh, so I read the code of conduct because I was like, okay, there has to be something within here that tells me. Uh, and when I was reading through it, the only scriptures that were coming up were about purity culture. So it was like about not having sex. And it didn't say anything about sex between who who right and so for me that was like oh okay like i need to ask this Maybe question a little bit freedom. more but your code of conduct isn't telling me i can't do i can't be queer and you're only talking about sex and i'm not gonna have sex so right yeah like i can sign this so i signed it and i yeah. was like yeah i can uphold it um and that's when i go to my leader uh and i call them my events leader and I, I asked her one day, I sent her an article first, uh, cause I was starting to like Google, can you be queer and Christian? Um, mm. and a lot of things were coming up from yeah. like, no, it's a sin, um, to, uh, yes, it's okay. Like we're affirming or, and I learned words like affirming mm. or the, uh, the fact that, uh, words like, uh, Malakoi and arsenokoitai and like greek words that were in the mm -hmm. bible in the original text um had been, been mistranslated in 1946 yep. so all these things were starting to come up um and so i was really really questioning and i didn't know what was true um or i didn't know what was um yeah what was true for myself and so i send this article of a guy who was questioning his sexuality and he was a Christian and he is able to like bring it together. And so I sent it to my leader. I was like, what do you think about this? Like someone sent this to me and I really want to get your thoughts. Um, and she's like, can, can we have a phone conversation? And I was like, uh, okay, sure. She's like, I don't have, I don't like to have these types of conversations over text. I'm like, okay, mm. fair. I mean, I could see why someone might not want that, but I guess maybe the yeah. Now I know they didn't, now. Want it, they didn't want it on record. <laughs> they want it right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. So then she calls me, and uh, she's like, "Oh, I I read it, and I have my thoughts, but I want to know yours first. Ooh. And I was like, "Okay, well, I thought it was oh, interesting. Boy. Like, I'm still like, I don't know. I grew up having queer friends, and my parents said it was okay. Like." typical love the sinner hate the sin um right and i was like but i'm really trying to understand like what that looks like now for my faith because it's been shifting so much uh from where i came from uh and so i was like i want to know what the church's stance is um and she's like well you know it, it really depends on the person and that's a, a case by case like conversation wow how do you, that, how does a church have a case by case? That is what that is what Carl Lent said. Yeah. Um. So when the Josh Canfield stuff came up, there was a whole firestorm 
and this was back in I think 2014 or 2015 um when it became known that I mean he was already out um and that was that was the thing about Josh is that everybody in in Hillsong New York well not everybody but everyone who interacted with him at Hillsong New York knew that he was gay um or is gay and that um I I believe he um he was engaged while while serving so it wasn't like his his sexual orientation and relationship were a secret as far as i can recall i had just started attending when all of this went down so i didn't know josh or or anything but then when all of this started swirling around because he was he was on tv he was um he was on survivor um and then he was giving interviews about being queer and christian and serving at a church and so when all of this started swirling around uh, i think it was it, he he made a mention that he was a, a team lead um and so brian houston had to make a statement because it was it was big news he was on um national television um in the US possibly i mean survivor might have even been a show that was exported so this was this was like news that Brian Houston felt he needed to address so he came down with the the whole like you know um well you know we want everyone to feel loved at Hillsong but we we affirm the the biblical you know uh form of biblical mandates for marriage or something like that which says nothing because what does the bible say about marriage? i mean but it's a good dog whistle for people who oh yeah believe that the bible says it's to be one man and one woman if they already have that perception of that's what the bible says then he doesn't need to elaborate on what the bible says or get into it you just know they'll assume that's right you know that's so 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 in response to that you know the the congregation in New York City felt frustrated by that response. So Carl then followed up with um the his we you know when it comes to this we want to have a conversation. You know, we want to love everybody and we we don't like cuz somebody I I don't remember what I think it was on on Huffington Post. He was being interviewed and I remember the video and he was sitting there and um they they were asking him so what you know what about um what about queer people you know and he was like well we want to love everyone and it, it's easy to to make a a statement it's easy cuz everybody wants to hear like your you know you know your your little your little statement that they can make a sound bite and put it out there but you know this is such an important thing and we want to love people well that, that it needs to be a conversation you know and and so that deflective. like your your description of a case by case yeah uh thing that was that was the hillsong the standard hillsong answer especially here um hillsong east coast hillsong you know big city hillsong for sure so how did that no i mean how did that hit you hearing your your leader that converse or i'm not sure if she was your leader i'm not remembering which position she had in in your life if she was a mentor or what but she said that to you on the in the conversation how did that feel? Like, did you, did you, were you satisfied with that answer? Or was it really bothering you that it wasn't more concrete? Yeah, I, I needed more. And I kept asking more. I grew up mm. in a family that had these types of conversations. That had very plain, direct sort yeah. of communication, didn't skirt around saying yes. what they thought. 
And so I, I brought it up and I was like, okay, but that doesn't tell me anything of like what the church's belief is. Like I, I want to be respectful of the church I'm in. And if this isn't a place for me, then I can walk away. Um, but at the time I told her, I have a friend who's gay and they want to be a volunteer. So what does that mean for them? Like you saying it's a case by case basis. And she was like, well, we would have to sit down and talk with them and see where they're at um, and then see what kind of like positions they could be in. And I was like, so there's areas you can't be in. And she's like, well, like I said, it's a case by case basis. So we'd have to talk to them. I was like, you're not giving me anything. Mm. Um, You're not actually answering any of these questions. No. And so then I was like, okay, fine. Like, I'm the friend. It's me. Like, I'm the queer person. Mm. And so then she stays quiet on the phone. And she's like, okay. um, Why do you feel the need to tell me this? And I was like, well. I was like, because it's a big part of who I am. And I'm starting to open up about this part of my life. And... I really want to share it with you. And like, like I said, I want to be respectful of whatever church I'm at, like the things I cannot do, like I won't do like, that's okay for now. Um, and so she kind of just was like, okay, well we can definitely continue to have this conversation. She's like, but what I can tell you is that what you're doing right now, um, is okay. Like any, any leadership levels you have are fine. So at the time, I was a service lead for the events team, which meant I was in charge of ensuring that all events teams were doing what they were supposed to be doing, checking in on them to make sure they weren't having anxiety attacks. And if they were, take them to the side, calm them down and bring them back in. Uh, Quick pause. Sorry. The fact that a team at a church is likely to have anxiety attacks might say something about the church culture, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So, so your role, you would, you would take your team aside and check in to make sure they weren't having anxiety yeah, attacks. So I would check in on them. Um, like there was did team you, members who they when you they're... checked in where you're like, we need to, we'll continue this. We're going to continue to be in a conversation about how you're doing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, what, is, I would just, what is checking in look like? No, I'm just, I was more I know you were taking, and I would be like, I hey, know you were taking care of your like people. It sounds like you need to step back. Like, let's go right. over here. Let's like, let's let it out over here. But I mean, like, I guess my joke was just meant more in the line <laughs> of like, no wonder people are having anxiety attacks. If you don't yeah. know where you stand, like, I don't know how you weren't having an anxiety oh, attack. No, me so- okay. All right. I was. So you're, like, you're like, I understand why you're having an anxiety attack. <laughs> yeah. I was. And there was people who like, there was this person who was volunteering. Their dad had passed away the day before and they were volunteering. And oh I know what that was like. So I saw her. She was numb, obviously, to the pain. Yeah. And I saw her listening to a worship song and she starts bawling. And I saw her from afar and I started noticing that it's starting to get there. And I quickly grab some tissues and a water and I sit her down. I'm like, let's, let's, let's sit down. Like you need a moment. And I was like, just listen in. Honestly, like I know, I know what it's like. You're still processing the pain. So I kind of just like, you do you. Uh, Don't worry about anything you have to take care of. Like we'll figure out someone else. Um, wow. but I could go to church when my dad passed for a while just because I was so raw that like 
if anyone said the wrong thing to me, I was afraid with, that my filter was gone and I might bite someone's head off by accident. <laughs> I was like, I, if someone's like, your dad's in a better place, that's going to send me over the edge at that yeah. moment. Like, it was a horrible comment to say to me. Not that I didn't yeah. believe that at the time. No, and I did. as someone who had grown up as like a pastor's kid or like a poster child for a church, I had to be there the day after he died. <sighs> and I had to sit in and people would come up to me and I had to keep a straight face and say, thank you. Oh, I, I, I can't even, I can't, ooh. Like I knew I, I had to put the mask on. So when right. I got to Hillsong, I had, I had taken the mask off while I was in inner varsity. And while I was at Hillsong, I put it on again without realizing it. Mm. Um, and I would take it off only when I was in the events room. So mm. I was also in charge of ensuring that all the sheets were done correctly. So when I say sheets, it's a timesheet. So mm -hmm. which basically says minute by minute, what's going to happen in the service? Yep. Who's going to say what, what songs are going to be sung? So I would edit those, ensure that it got to the correct person or to the correct people. Cause there's only certain yeah, people could receive one there, but there were a bunch. And I was, I was one of those people that was always asking for more because I had, I had enough people on my team who needed it. And inevitably and so so it got to the point where our uh, our events team was like okay I'm, I'm not giving them to nate anymore i'm just gonna go around to all the people that nate wants me to send them to and i'll hand them off <laughs> so i was a person who would at first when we didn't have a lot of people i would be the one to edit it print it mm. cut them out run them and like take them to the people who had to get them uh, and i got to know these people and if i would get there right before it started i was like so sorry i'm here like how many do you need and then at first i would like hand them out like candy and mm -hmm. i was quickly pulled aside like nope you can't do that like you can only give it to these list of people no one is supposed to be knowing minute by minute um what's happening and i'm like like what's so special what? about this list what secrets are in this list it honestly it but it it, it speaks to i think the the larger culture um at hillsong and it's it's no surprise that they were so tight-fisted about something as minuscule as a timesheet that yeah. there would there would have been no if if that if that got out there would have been no issue but they were keeping secrets they were keeping bigger secrets and so they just had to lock everything down they just had to mm -hmm. get into the practice of everything needed to be as locked down as possible yeah because if the wrong thing leaked you know, the church overall. High fucked, control environment. We're seeing right now. Yeah. So that was a big part of like, and, and I would edit other things of like, one of them was a sheet of like the script of what the, uh, not the offering person would say, because that was vetted by Josh. Mm -hmm. uh, but like any announcements that were going to be given, um, who like, if there was a dedication, the names of the, of the children, and then they would put them in mm -hmm. binary color. So like black, uh, blue and, and pink which was really yep. bothersome to me when yeah. I was there. I was like, ew. Um, now I know why it was bothersome. Um, but at the time I didn't. So I would do all of that and run them. So I got to know a lot of people uh, because of that, because I had the past. I could get to the backstage, give them to the people who needed it mm -hmm. back there, um, to different areas. Uh, and people started to like get to know me and I would talk to them. Uh, and I was... I had grown up in church, so I knew how to treat people as yeah. a pastor's kid um, who had to maintain this like l like culture and, and label. Um, so people would quickly like open up with me and like be happy or 
or they'd say, oh, you have a great smile. I'm like, no, I just know how to put it on. Like I was taught mm-hmm. from an early age. Uh, but yeah. thank you. I do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and that, those are the kinds of things that were like uh, I was in charge of. So service lead. And then I was also I had started together with three other people, um, a Spanish speaking connect group. Oh, okay. um, I wanted to find a way to recreate kind of the Latinx thing that I had had in, in undergrad. And one of the ways I was like, oh, I can bring Spanish like speaking people together because I can't say Latinos because then they'd be like, oh, you're excluding uh, or you're mm. being exclusive. Um, so I was like, OK, like Spanish speaking. Um, so I started that connect group and I was one of the leaders. Um, and by that point, two of the leaders had left. So it was only two of us left uh, that we were leading it. So I was like, okay, you have me leading a connect group and you have me as an event service lead. And those two things are okay for me as a queer person. And she's like, yep, that's fine. Like, I don't see a problem with it right now. Mm. And I was like, okay, right now. So in the future, maybe. Mm. And she's like, well, whoever, like I'm, I'm over you within events. And Steve DeGrosa, who was a staff at the time in Boston. So I didn't realize he went to Boston. Okay. No qualifications for this. No, no, no. Definitely not somebody. None. He he came from the driver's team. He was driving Joel Houston in, Mm -hmm. in New York, promoted to be a pastor in Boston to help Josh out. He was in charge of connect groups. And she was like, Steve will be okay with like, you're cool with Steve. I was like, yeah, he's, he's okay. I didn't know the guy very well. Um, but we would hang out once in a while. Um, so she was like, okay, so you're fine. So I was like, okay, but if it were to change to a different leadership, do I have to ask them and like re continue to be asking and coming out constantly to the new leader? And she's like, like I said, it's a case by case basis. So we can have conversations. And I was like, Oh my crap. So I was like, okay, fine. Like, let's just take it for now. I'm okay right now. I don't even know where I'm at internally. So I was like, okay, thank you. Um, I'll see you on Sunday. That Saturday rolled up. I was like, I do not want to go. Uh, and that's kind of where it started of mm. me feeling my body quickly picking up on this is in a safe space. I don't know why you keep going back. Um, but there's another part of me that was like, this is the only people I know in Boston. I have to go back. Cause if I get out, I'm going to lose like, this quote unquote family that I had created. Um, so I, I keep going and every Saturday I would text my leader and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm not feeling really well. And she would text me something around the lines of like, um, when we don't want to go to church, that's when we need to go to church. Oh Oh, gosh. (laughs) Oh God. Pray hardest when it's hardest to pray. Yeah. (laughs) The typical lingo of like manipulation to get you back in the door. Um, so I would show up again at like 7am and I started to want to know more. Um, and because I wasn't listening into services, I wasn't sitting in on any any service because there were barely any volunteers. So I had to yeah. be a service lead for all services, which were two and then three later um, towards the end of my time there. Uh, but I was uh, I started listening to podcasts or reading articles. Um, 
I found this book oh, or these this podcast podcast called Queer Theology. Ooh, mm, yes. Yeah. We've listened to that. Before. Yeah. Awesome. And I, I really wanted to understand more. And I was like, oh, who's this? And then I found Queerology. And then mm. I found Kevin Garcia. And then I started okay. finding all of these lists of people. So my mornings then before as I was getting ready for church and on my way to church, I was listening to all these things. And I was like, so happy. Like, yeah. Mm. Um, and I would You're do being that. you built because... up in who you are and, and exploring all kinds of stuff you've never heard before, never thought of with relation to who you are and what your faith means to you. Yeah. And it started really shifting. And I started to like learn more and, and be okay with, with everything. Um, I read then a book with one of my friends that was published by InterVarsity. I don't recall what the book is, um, but I tell my friend like, "Hey, I'm 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 having this hard time right now with uh, my my sexuality and my faith. Like, can we talk?" And my friend and I, we were really close. We had both been in InterVarsity. Um, and she's like, oh, my God, I think there's a book about this uh, from InterVarsity. Let's read it together. Um, so we read I it. I ask a few questions about this book because I have a vivid InterVarsity memory that's popped back in my head from Urbana. <laughs> was it possibly a guy who was straight and all his friends came out to him at the same time? No. And he started. A no. OK. No, it's another I will guy. Add a OK, I'll add a quick, quick. And the reason I want to tell this story <laughs> tied to InterVarsity, because I think it's important. Um, when I went they had an intervarsity uh, session on homosexuality and it was so packed. That room was so packed that people were filling up the tables underneath the table. Like it was a fire hazard. That room was an entire fire hazard because they could not fit in all the people that in the, were in the evangelical church going, can we please hear some conversation on this? And the guy who they brought in, I feel like, I don't know where he's at now, but I feel like he was pushing all of the lines of that whole conversation as far as he could go in evangelicalism without being like, I'm affirming. Like he was like talking about how when people came to Jesus, how he didn't give answers, he asked questions back. And like he was just, he was expressing, you know, um, how the queer community perceives Christians and how we've done damage. And like he's just saying all this stuff. Um, without directly saying, oh, and I'm affirming. Like he was pushing that. And then I felt like the next time I went back to Urbana, they had nothing when it came to queer people. And that was, I mm. mean, the last time I went was probably the first time you went. But what's interesting about that is also they started bringing in all the policy after that where they made inner varsity yes. leaders take a position. That's and when I was a part of it. So that came into play after that session at Urbana that I had been to, where it felt like certain people within the movement were push, trying to push things forward and um, maybe publishing books that were getting yeah. backlash. Yeah, and so when, sudden, when InterVarsity gave their stance, I was a junior or a sophomore in, in college, and I saw like the effects of that. A lot of people started leaving of like, mm. how could you not be affirming, like, or how can you force people to take a stance if InterVarsity is a place where you could ask all these questions of like everyone? You had to have that exact unaffirming position to be a staff member. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting. I, and I don't know which year that was happening. If Do you have an idea when that what sense of when that was? Probably like 2015, 2016. So I feel like a lot of evangelical parachurch organizations no, called themselves. Okay. It was before Urbana 15. Okay. Right before then, I feel like there was a bunch of different evangelical organizations that claimed to be, you know, inter, you know, parachurch or interdenominational that started to take very hard stances. Like I was a part of um, BSF, which is Bible Study uh, International, and they did the same thing where they were like, before that, they didn't have a hard stance. And then all of a sudden, all the leaders had to like 
conform or leave. And then they were telling us in leader meetings, if people leave, it's not necessarily because they're affirming. You can't make that assumption. And it was like, but all the while, like, I just feel like a lot of evangelical organizations mm-hmm. around that time period were taking very hard stance all of a sudden with people who'd been volunteering who were queer or who had, who were affirming that all of a sudden were pushed out of like, yeah. it, it seemed to become much more of a culture war at a certain point. And I remember like, wow. at that time I was already hinting at wanting to start to question. So when they asked me if I wanted to be on staff or at least intern, cause first you have to intern to then be on staff. Um, I was like, I don't think I can do this. Like that's at InterVarsity, right? Yeah. And at InterVarsity, I was like, I'm questioning, like, I'm starting to question. I am like starting to like, think about all of these things. Like I felt like sinful for thinking about them and for starting to have more attractions and crushes towards girls. And I was like, I, I can't do that. Like, I need to be pure and like purity culture. And like, how can I even have these thoughts? Um, so I was like, no, like, I, I can't. Um, and then I started to like realize, like, wait, maybe there's something different. So I kind of had it in a place where I was like, I don't know. Uh, but I believe all people are should be welcome. And let's have a conversation um, to learn more. And, and more me of like, I don't have to take a stance because I'm not a church leader. So when I go to Hillsong and they start telling me the same thing, I'm like, you should have your shit together and tell me mm-hmm. what it is. Like, InterVarsity did. They took the backlash, but they're going through it. And, and they're they saying it out. where they stand on this and yeah. you guys yeah. are not. Yeah. You're completely sidestepping the whole topic yeah, altogether. And While like, we're in leadership and we're serving and we're in your churches and we're doing all these things Exactly. In leadership, and we don't know when you're going to pull the plug on us, and we're going to tell us yeah. there's a glass ceiling we didn't know about, or oops, new leader came in, now you're revoked from this privilege. Yeah, and so that was the place where I was at. Was like, wait, I came from a place where like they took the backlash of having a stance, um, that just told people where they were at, and yeah. and allowed those that said this isn't a safe space for me to go and and start their own groups and their own Bible studies. Like, why can't you do this as a church? Like, it's telling me that you're you're purposely wanting to then be ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something there. So then I start, I start to go to my leader again. Um, and I'm like, I need to continue this. Like you said, we would continue a conversation. So I start pushing for more questions. Um, and this was more in, so I came out to them early. I came out to a friend first in 2018. Um we start going through this whole process. I come out to my leader early 2019. No, end of 2018. I come out to my mom early 2019. So like January. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like I was- slowly coming out. And as I was like doing it, I was reading books. I was listening to podcasts, reading like whatever I could. Um, and I read this book from InterVarsity. It's this guy who's gay. And so he's trying to reconcile what that looks like for him as a Christian and within Christianity, a Protestant Christianity, I don't know what this looks like for Catholicism. Um, there are within the community, there's, they call them side A and side B. So side A is often viewed as the fully affirming, like being LGBTQ is not a sin. God doesn't view you as a sin. You can be in a relationship with someone, um, a consensual relationship with the person and that's like fully affirmed by God. Side B is like, 
you as a person are not a sin, but if you act upon it is a sin. Um, so, so they use terms like same sex attraction as opposed to homosexual yeah. because they want to mm-hmm. separate, you know, your how you're attracted versus, mm-hmm. you know, what you're doing. So, like, you can have a same sex attraction, just you know, just as long as your behavior lines just, up. Just with, you know, don't be talk about just be it. Hide it. Yeah, it, it started to become this thing of like, I'm, I'm, I'm reading all these books, and I remember, and I felt okay about it because when. Hillsong started at the beginning of Hillsong Boston. Josh had told us, like, I don't have the time to be pastoring you all uh, because he's going to be busy building this church and you all are helping me. Typical. So you need to pastor yourself um, because maybe you won't have time at the beginning um, to sit down and listen in. And like Sundays are for new believers and connect groups are for people who are like wanting to deep dive deeper. Um, Right. So we're, we're a church of connect groups, not a church with connect groups. Um, and so <laughs> I remember hearing that too. <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it was like, oh, great. Okay. I can yeah. listen to whatever I want. I yeah. can dig deep in whatever area I want. Cause you're telling me to find what I need. Pastor yourself. Okay. Yeah. Done. And so mm-hmm. I took, I took that and ran with it. And I was finding all these pastors who were affirming and all of these like leaders and, um, I started reading these books and that book from university that I keep going back to, um, it, he talks about in the book, uh, as a side B person, he first ends up going through the clobber passages, which are six passages in the Bible where it mentions the word homosexual. Um, and he is going through them and like going through the myths of them and saying, Hey, mm-hmm. this is actually incorrect. And so he starts like demystifying them. Like, this is wrong. This is wrong. But at the end of the book, he ends up saying, but you should be celibate. Interesting. And I was like, wait, what? Like, I. Well, that's under varsity evangelicalism for you. Yeah. I want to kind of start moving towards, um, towards the exit door, right? The, um, like the, the walking away from from Hillsong, I've 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 heard so many stories, and I've had so many people messaging me over the last few weeks, and I'm getting emotional just thinking about some of these messages that I've been getting um, of people that I remember. I remember um, when I left and looking, because I didn't go very far, right? I I ended up like a year and change later. I ended up at a church right across the street from from Hillsong, but so I would see I would see them pretty uh, pretty regularly, and I remember my heart breaking for some of them, like get out of there like this is that place is is dangerous and toxic i got a message from one of my friends who who said um he he did the whole like yeah fuck that place it's garbage um and i know you tried to warn me and um and i was i mean there was a little bit of validation but i also got emotional i felt like it's it finally you know finally people are seeing it for what it is so so some of the exit stories were so different. Like mine was, was a very quiet exit. Um, I You'd didn't already even, deconstructed so much at yeah, that point. That I didn't, was... I didn't even know, like, I didn't even know that I was going to, that I was walking away from that place for the last time. I just was like, I'm tired. I need a break. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then you have someone like Janice, who's like, I'm not going to be one of those people. I'm going to send all the text messages. I'm going to, I'm going to try to, to get Carl to sit down and, and talk with me. Um, what what about you though? I mean, there there's such a wide spectrum. So so what was that exit starting to look like for you? What were some of the breaking points as you were um, yeah. as you were on your way out? So yeah. 
it started to the happen book. more. Were we at the book? Were we at the book? Did we finish where the book played? <laughs> oh, right, right. <laughs> no, we didn't finish the book. I started oh, okay, reading let's... more books after that that were actually affirming. Um, ah, okay. Plug okay. into uh, Colby Martin's Unclobbered, um, Kathy Bulldog's uh, Bridging mm. the Walkless Canyon. I don't know what it's called specifically, but those are really good books if you're looking for that. Um, Justin Lee's another good person to look into. But anyway, um, yeah, so I was already had read all these books. I was like, okay, I'm I'm affirming. I feel at peace with this, with my uh, sexual identity. Um, and now what does that look like um, in the church that keeps telling me it's a case-by-case basis? So I started bringing it up. I came out to my mom in January, February, and I met with the leader. Uh, that's kind of where the exit kind of started. Mm-hmm. Um, and the day after I came out, my mom did not take it well. Um, she started Bible thumping me, yelling, like, oh, you're going, God. like, how could you do this? You're going to hell. Um, this is so wrong. Like, we need to be together as a family kind of thing. So I I set the boundary and I was mm-hmm. like, I can't. Um, I was starting to go to therapy at this point, And my therapist, we talked about how to do it best. Um, and I set my boundary and I hung up the phone probably like 10 minutes after I told her. Um, and I call, I text my leader and I'm like, Hey, I just came out to my mom. Um, we were supposed to hang out the next day. And I was like, can we like just do something fun? I'm having a really hard night. Um, can we just like, I don't know, play video games or no, like play board games or something. Um, she didn't play video games, bummer. Um, <laughs> but I my call my other friend from grad school. She comes over. We're like crying. Um, and, and I'm able to like sleep like a few hours. I go to my leader's house the next day and it's just her and I. Um, I walk in and she's folding laundry. I vividly remember every part of it. And I sit down on the chair in front of the couch and she's like, so what happened? I'm like, I told you I didn't want to talk about this, but okay, here you go. Uh, I was like, well, I felt like I needed to come out to my mom. I felt like it was time. And I called her and it kind of just happened. Like I told her and she's like, why do you feel the need to come out to people? Oh my God. And I was like, well, because it's a big part of who I am. Like it's part of my identity. She's like, well, what is identity? Jesus is your identity. Jesus should be the only identity. Identity is so elusive. None of us should ever say what our profession is and what we've studied in as if that's even, it's so funny because no one would ever say like, don't introduce yourself as a doctor. That's not your real identity. It's Jesus. Don't tell us what you've studied for five years in school and to do if that's what you do as your, because that's not your identity. How much more is this an identity than yeah. that? But for some reason. So, so it, so it didn't go well with your mom and it didn't go well with your leader. Yeah. And, and, and I how even, did that continue on with her from that moment when she's trying to be like, why do you need to? I, yeah, so then she goes on. I'm like, okay, so identity for me was a big thing because I'm Latinx and that's a big mm. part of who I am. Oh, yeah. And especially as someone who had like helped build up La Fe within a university, I'm like, I help people go through their ethnic journey and like their faith journey and how they come together. Um, 
And I was like, how could you like tell me that? And I was like, wait, do you even identify as a black woman then? Like, is that something mm. that you hold on to? And she's like, well, I don't identify as black first. I identify like I, I'm a child of God and, and you should identify in God first. Oh, and she's like, I, she's like, it's frustrating me that people identify with all these things. Like everything is changing. You should identify in Christ. So it was like, my ethnicity isn't changing. Um, my sexuality isn't changing. Um, at least like in the spectrum of where I was at, at the time. Um, I was like, no, like you can't mm. tell me like these are things that are, are who I am and and I can't like that's not OK. Um, so we went into that debate, p- push and pull kind of thing wh- that I was comfortable in. Um, she was clearly getting more frustrated as we went. Um, and it was more she kind of stopped and said, we'll continue this um, later. So other people came over. We played board games, whatever. Um and the conversation started to happen again, like it would come up. Um, and it got to the point where it was starting to affect my mental health um, and trigger warning to a lot of like mental health issues of suicide ideation and, and, and mental illness. Um, as I'm questioning even more and having these conversations and like debating harder, I start to have a hard time with like the community that I thought would be home is now pushing against me. The place that is actually my home is also against me. The people that are kind of my friends aren't physically here because they're all the way in Arizona. The ones from grad school are like, eh, Mm. I'm not very close to them. So it's like, I felt very lonely. um, And my mind started going down a spiral and I was in therapy but I wasn't opening up fully to my therapist because I wasn't very comfortable with them yet. Despite me specifically finding a therapist who was gay, Latinx, mm. <laughs> and oh, wow. like, okay with talking about church culture and like mm. um, religion. And I couldn't open up to them about my mental illness or like my mental health and feeling like I had suicide ideation. It makes sense. Mm. Like if you're, if your own mom, if your church community, if everything that you have known for your whole life to be secure places is not accepting you, then even if a therapist is all the markers of what should logically make sense, it would make sense that you're, you just mentally are like, I can't, just can't do this. I would allude to it. Like, Oh, like sometimes I, f- I, I think about like what it would look like to die or what like people would, mm. what it would look like afterwards. Um, or I'm walking on the street and I just want to like go to the street and get a car to go in front of me and run me over. And he's like, oh, everyone does that. Like I didn't really specify what was happening, but he didn't catch on to it. And I do go back. I'm like, George, mm. you didn't catch on to it. Um, oh, and now he's like more like, aware You've of helped it. him be a better better at his yeah. job. <laughs> um but I ended up having big like episodes and I the first person I would call would be my leader because that's how she she made me very dependent on her. Mm. Um and I would call Ooh. her and be like that's like being sick and, and going to someone who's gonna feed you poison. Yeah. Ooh. And so I would text her and be like, I want to take these meds now. Like they're in my hand. What do I do? Um and that night she came over, she took the meds away and she's like, we need to pray or let's watch this sermon 
or let's listen to this podcast. And I was like, oh, God. this isn't helping. Um, she's like, we need worse. to journal. Uh, we need to do these devotionals. Um, and my <sighs> best friend from grad school was kind of starting to realize something was not okay. Uh, she didn't know the extent of how bad it had gotten. So one day she, I was with her and I started crying. Um, no, I told her the night that I was going to take the meds or the day after I was like, she took the pills away from me and I'm really mad because I'm really tired today and I could have been resting and away from it all. And my friend was like, what happened? Like, what's going on? So she started picking up on it and her aunt was a pastor at the time of an affirming church in the UCC. Um, and she was gay and she was black. Um, and she reached out to her aunt. She's like, this is happening and I am not qualified. I don't know what to do. And her aunt was like, get her on the phone with me or let's, I let's talk. And I had met her once and she was really nice. Um, so one day my friend comes over, I all of a sudden go down a spiral again. And she tells me, um, can I, can you talk to my aunt on the phone? Like, I'm like, sure. Yeah. She's really nice. And I'm on the phone with her. And the first thing she tells me, instead of yelling, instead of telling me, me to calm down, instead of telling me to listen to this scripture or read the sermon or listen to the sermon or read this, whatever she tells me on the phone, it sounds like you've been having a really hard time. And it sounds like you need more support around you. I'm like, and I start bawling like, yeah, I, I don't know what I need, but that sounds right. And she's like, no one around you right now is qualified to support you. So the best option we have right now to help you is for you to go and get a psychiatric evaluation. Is that something you feel okay doing? And I was like, yeah, okay. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. She's like, okay, you need to pack a bag, um, go with your friend to the hospital. And when you walk into the ER, tell them I'm here for a psychiatric evaluation. So she told me step-by-step step what to do. Um, and she's like, take your insurance cards, whatever. So I start packing. My friends start helping me pack a bag. Um, I get to the hospital and I say those exact words and they start processing everything. And my leader gets to the hospital. Um, and so she's like, it was already happening. So it's not like she could do anything about it. Um, and my friend, my other friend was there who is agnostic and she's like, doesn't care much about religion. So I end up going through the process. I get admitted into a psychiatric hospital. I'm there for about four days. Um, only my leader and another person from Hillsong go. No one else. I didn't get a text, a call from any pastor. Mm. Um, and that was really eye-opening for me. And I think yeah. that's where the exit finally started in my head. And that was in July, end of June, early July, like those final days of the month. Um, okay. And so when I get, I leave the hospital, I was really frustrated because as someone who was a pastor's kid and had gone to hospitals, had gone to like wait outside of the jail while my dad was inside talking to the people in there, um, would go to funerals, like you show up, that's where pastors are most needed. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and they weren't pastoring. No one showed up. No one sent a card. No one sent anything even afterwards. No one said anything. But that following Sunday that I got out, I was expected to be at church and to wow. be serving the same way I did before. 
And when I got to Sunday, when I got to church that Sunday, I was not ready to be around people. Um, you had no ability to put back, back all those filters and masks you were used to know yeah. how to put on. It was like not able to do those things. Yeah. And I, I get there and I, I go to the events room and I'm like, I'm just going to stay in here all day. I delegated what I needed to delegate. And I was like, I can't do this. Um, and that's when I sit down and I'm like, that's fucked up that they couldn't, they couldn't even show up. Yeah. Um, so then my leader starts catching up on that. She then starts to talk to me less. Um, she made me do a few devotionals after that, where I had to take a picture, send it to her so she could verify that I did it. And she could read through it to ensure that I wasn't saying anything that would like queer affirming. Um, Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. Cause God forbid you, you consume any content that might be helpful for your mental health. Exactly. I had to do this form that I still have somewhere, um, of like my, uh, emergency plan. If it were to happen again, who within the church do I contact? Um, all the people that showed up, I have such a huge pool of supportive yeah. people to pick from. Isn't right. it wonderful? I to have phone numbers of my therapist and my psychiatrist um because they put me on medication oh while i was in the hospital so it was like all these things like this person so this church, who is not qualified to support right. anybody wanted to have all these numbers this is your your leader yeah yeah this church as an organization their, their pastors were mia constantly mm -hmm. they weren't doing the job of pastors none of them were even qualified to handle any of these things these things anyway mm -hmm. but, but even if they were they weren't around they weren't doing their jobs, so then they passed the, those jobs off to connect group leaders, to team leads, people who are not qualified at all. At the very least, they could have, you know, they, I mean, this church is, is rich. They mm -hmm. could have paid for some kind of credentialing for these leaders that they were supposed to be equipping, quote unquote, to go pastor, right? to go take care of their connect groups, but none of them are equipped. And then they pull this stupid shit because they don't know what to do. Yeah. So like somebody like this, who's not qualified is trying to be a is trying to be your care manager. Yeah. Basically getting your psych, getting your psychiatrist's um, phone number, your therapist's phone number and do what with it. Mm -hmm. And I had a care manager at the hospital and it was a very different experience. Mm -hmm. Like they wanted to understand and, and they would get the numbers for me or they would make the, the appointments for me to go after I got right. out and they would explain to me everything they were doing, why they were asking certain questions for what they needed the information. Transparency. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And with my leader, that was not the case. There was nights where I was, I, she would request an Uber for me to get in the car and go and sleep at her place because she was worried. I was like, I don't, I needed to go back to the hospital. Like yeah. I needed actual support, not you trying to like, Would and, and by this point, new devotional or listen to another. <sighs> yes. And I still have those pictures. Like I have my receipts of that because she was very strategic oh. about what she would do in person to not get it in mm. writing. Right. Like she was not qualified to do it and she wouldn't reach out to anybody to get more support about it. Later on, I found out she was talking to one of the pastors and the pastor was telling her what to do. Yeah, because she probably had no idea at yeah. all. And this pastor was reaching into some, I don't know, maybe a leadership seminar that he had, you know, sat through at Hillsong College. No, he didn't go to have... Hillsong College. He hadn't gone. Oh, OK. Well, 
even even better but still somebody who's entirely un- unqualified yeah so um, i that all God. happens and there's like a whole bunch like a lot is happening at once my mental health is not doing well um but the meds start to kind of kick in and okay. i start realizing a whole new world of being <laughs> actually level-headed and realizing what it looks like to not have um crippling anxiety and depression. Um, I was later Mm. diagnosed with PTSD uh, Mm. from trauma I had experienced as a kid. Um, And, and my experience at Hillsong was like reliving it. Um, Mm. So I was having like day by day reliving and having flashbacks and living in the flashbacks as I was at Hillsong because they were triggering so much of it. Um, and no one was qualified to die to see it and sit me down. Like every Sunday after that, I got out of the hospital, I was having anxiety attacks mm. and I would have to say, I have to go. I would go to the corner, do my deep breaths every night on Saturday. I was like crying mm. Friday nights would be like the worst because the weekend was coming. So it was just like a whole shit show was happening oh, and no one was qualified to support me. I'm even surprised. I honestly survived it all. We live in an era of unprecedented access to information, news, and media. But what happens when all that information leads you to suddenly realize you spent the majority of your childhood in a cult? Well, we can tell you. Join me, Jessica Goforth, and Kathleen Reynolds as we take you into the world of cult recovery after all the emotional, psychological, financial, and sexual abuse we experienced as part of Bill Gothard's Advanced Training Institute. On our podcast called Leaving the Village, we talk candidly about our journey out and interview other survivors whose experiences boggle your mind as scandals continue to rock the twisted world of IBLP. Subscribe to Leaving the Village today so you don't miss a single episode. It got to the point where the leader was like exhausted. So she ghosted me. Wow. In like October, no, September (laughs) started to ghost me. And in October, and she was like the only friend, quote unquote, that I thought I had. She and showed up at the hospital. One of the two yeah. people that showed up at the hospital is now ghosting you. Yeah. Wow. And so then I was like, okay, I was I was overwhelmed with events. I was like, I should step back. So one of the pastors that Steve DeGrosa, who was looking over connect groups, is like, hey, why don't you come and help me? And I'm like, okay, sure. Like, I, I like admin stuff and background stuff. Um, so he's like, let's grab coffee uh, before we get started. I want to get to know you. And that's mm. like, that's like trigger for oh something's oh going to happen. Yeah. this It's one of the things that's, that's sort of a theme on our podcast. Whenever you hear somebody say, hey, let's get coffee. Run. Run yeah. away. It's a trap. Don't go. Why is this in everyone's story that they sit them down for coffee and it goes very wrong? This so is something to be aware of. And he's like, who's Noemi? Tell me more about you. Like, well, that's a big question. So I started telling him about my family and how they were like in ministry and vocational ministry for a bit. Um, and like my experience. Uh, and he's but like, that's, that's not what he's there to listen to. And that's no. not the detail he's he's no. wanting you to get into. Not. Yeah, no. And he's like, well, how's your mental health? And I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing so much better now that I'm on meds. Um, my therapist is great. I have a good relationship with them. Um, and my psychiatrist and we're managing everything, like increasing meds because I'm like, I need more. Um, 
And he's like, okay. Um, so that was kind of the end of the first one. And then he's like, at the end, he's like, I want to mentor you. Oh no. And I was like, um, okay. Like this is awkward. You're a white cisgendered man. Didn't you know, Noemi, that a white cisgendered man holds the keys to all knowledge yeah. in the Thank you evangelical <laughs> Christian universe? They're all found in white men. It's, yep. it's incredible the power yeah. and yeah. and under. Well, it's, it's like they're weird. they are default humanity. Like they understand all life experiences. It's weird because like even in Christianity, though, or like evangelicalism, like I would expect a woman to come to me and be like, "I want to mentor you." Like men, right. men, women, women. But yeah, he yes. was like. Oh, I'm the cool pastor. Um, I want to mentor you kind of thing, like crossing that. Yeah. Um, and also, I'm wondering if maybe um, maybe the fact that you're gay might have something to do with the fact that, oh, you can't you can't send a woman in to, to mentor this this one. Right. Because, yep. you know, you never know what might happen. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. No. So then yeah. The, next, the second meeting, I was like, sure. Yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> the second meeting, he's like, so what's holding you back from giving it your all? at church oh my god and he's like is there anything like any questions you have about the church and i was like well and i i brought up something i don't remember what the first thing was i was like there's something else um and i kind of stay quiet he's like it's that you're you're queer right and i was like how do you know like i've never told anybody only my leader and she's like oh Oh, i spoke with her yep He's like, when you were having a hard time with your mental health, she would reach out to me and I was supporting her. Cool. So you're getting outed yeah. behind your back, non-consensually. Lovely. So you're, you're sitting there with, uh, with Steve DeGroza and he wants to mentor you. He lets you know that he has found out that you're queer. Um, Without your consent. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Okay. Yeah. So then he starts going, we start getting into it, or he at least asked me what about that was holding me back um, from giving it my own. Um, And I was like, well, like, I haven't gotten a straight answer of what Hillsong believes, and I need to understand in order to know where I'm at. Um, I was like, I've been questioning if this is at the now at this point, I was like, I'm questioning if this is actually a place for me. And if it's not, I can't be here. And he's like, well, like, you know, we welcome all people and it's a case by case basis. I was like, okay, fine. I've already got this question. I've already got this response. Here are a few questions for me. And this is now coming from a person myself who felt more firm in what I believed in in queer theology. And I had already heard how to ask Mm. questions to pastors that are like this. Mm. So I said, I asked him, I was like, okay, great. Yes or no questions. Would you, as a pastor who is ordained, I'm assuming you're ordained so you can marry people. Would you, as a pastor, marry me and my partner who happens to be of the same sex? And he kind of just says, he's like, well, Hillsong Church doesn't really perform marriages for just anybody. Like, of course, it's on a special case. Um, case by case scenario. Yeah. And I was like, come on, Steve. You're so, you're my friend, aren't you? And he's like, well, yeah, we're friends. I was like, okay, well, you as what my friend. What if I friend, asked you? And I come to you and I say, Steve, as an supposedly ordained minister, because I don't know what your qualifications are for you to call yourself a pastor. 
would you marry my partner and I who happens to be of the same sex? He's like, well, no, I can't do that. Like, okay, thank you. Like, that's all I needed to hear. Would you, um, would Hillsong Church, if something were to be posted about a job and I read it and I'm like, oh my God, I'm the perfect candidate for this. I qualify and overqualify. Um, and I apply for this job as an openly queer person, would Hillsong Church hire me? He's like, well, we don't know who's going to apply. And if you want to get the job, and I was like, no, like would I get the job saying that I'm an openly queer person? And maybe I also happen to be married to someone of the same sex. And he's like, well, no. And I'm like, Mm. okay, why? You got some final straight answers. Yeah. He's like, I was like, well, why? He's like, well, you know, um, because we as leaders believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And so then whoever is hired needs to have those same belief systems. And I'm like, and why no one could have said this, this? Yeah. any why is point this not before. Yeah. Why? Why is, yeah. You have asked the question already. They could have said that a long time mm-hmm. ago. Like and why he, say case by case when they could have given you that answer? Before? Exactly. And he's like, well, um, and he knew he had fucked up. So he's like, um, but we can bring Carl in and we can have a conversation. He'll oh, come down here and talk to you. He's like, I can text him right now. Like, I don't want to talk to Carl. First of all, you've, this guy you've is given super me manipulative. enough information. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no, he's super manipulative. He's going to swindle his way into trying to convince me to get back yeah. into it. I'm okay. Like, I, I know his game. I've seen him. Like, I know how to tell pastors that are that way. Yeah, he's super charismatic speaker, but no. No, thank you. And he's like, well, I know there's a group of gay people who meet in New York. Maybe I can connect you with some of them. At the time, I didn't know what that meant. Now I know that it was the gay meeting that happened in 2015 Mm. um, that Janice told me about um, later on, like this this year, actually. The backlash to Josh Canfield. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm. And so then I was like, no, I'm I'm okay." Like this conversation. Also, New York, really? Yeah. You're in Boston. <laughs> oh no, he would make me go over there. I went to New York on my own because I needed to get training for events. Yeah. Like we would leave right after the the one p.m. service in Boston, finish up until like two or no three or four p.m. Drive to New York to the last service to volunteer and come back. Didn't get home till like three a.m. How many hours God. is that from from probably Boston like four hours driving? Four hour drive. And if there's traffic, five. Lovely. Yeah. Back and forth. Hey, you can have a sense of community five hours away. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he he right. he was telling me that, and I was like, nope. And I was like, honestly, this conversation is like really making me. Reconsider if this is a place for me. Um, and um, his alarm rang because we had to go to this thing. And mm. he's like, Oh, we, we have to go. Let's go. I was like, oh, Saved by the bell. Um, <laughs> so after that conversation, he's like, Okay, let's schedule our next one. So we schedule it. Doesn't show up. He I text, doesn't show up. He doesn't show up. Oh my God. I text wow. him. I call him everything. Nothing. And, and he texts me the day later. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, like this day, I'll be there. The day comes, he doesn't show up. What the, the following heck? day, like, and I, yeah, it was getting wet, like four times. And you had been ghosted by your other leader, and now this guy's taking you under Jesus your the, the guy up from the her guy is taking you under his wing. Me? Wow. wow, is now like also ghosting me and not showing up. 
to like our mentorship meetings. That he and like he can scheduled. message you if he can't show up to say, hey, sorry, something came up. Can I like yeah. he could have let you know he instead of having you- it on like, oh, the snow or oh, I'm working on this. I was like, OK, but you could have told me beforehand. Right. So I didn't travel in the snow to get there. But he he wasn't doing any of that. And I I don't know why I showed up four times. Wow. And was stood up four times. Um, and it got to the last one that I texted him and I was like, I'm done with this mentorship thing. Like this is mm. your, your, your shitty person, your shitty pastor. Yeah. And that day, that Sunday after <laughs> Sorry, <I'm> like, yep. <laughs> that Sunday, um, I'm heading in the train home. And I'm crying and there's no one, luckily no one else in the train, but no one really cares if you're crying in the train here either. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm crying and I'm, I, I stop myself and I'm like, why is it that every Sunday that I head home, I cry on Saturday because I don't want to go to church. And then I'm crying on Sunday after church because I'm exhausted and because I didn't want to be there. So messed up. And yes. my body so had already told me I didn't want to be there. Like I ended up in the psychiatric hospital like what the fuck am I doing? And mm. I was like, what if I try to not go on Sunday? What would that feel like? Huh. Um, and I get home and then following weekend, I text my friend. I'm like, I'm not going to church. Can we do something else? Keep you busy. Um, so we hang out and we go shopping and do different things. Um, and I don't tell anybody that I'm not going. Hmm. I just don't show up. Um, I think I texted C for the 5 p.m. And I tell him, hey, I can't make it. I'm so sorry. Because I was actually being responsible and doing that. Yeah. Mm, you actually let the mm. person know that you're going to yeah. be a no-show. Wow. Yeah. Just common I basic him, I was basic helping courtesy. him table for connect groups. And I couldn't show up for the 5 p.m. And I was like, You're treating but, him like a normal human being that cares right. about someone else. Yeah. He would just... Be courteous. With a, a little respect at the Just bare minimum, right? Mm -hmm. Bare minimum respect. Let them know. Yeah. And so I, I don't show up. And then the following Sunday again. And so I ended up texting him one day. I was like, I'm done. Like, I can't mm. do this anymore. Um, I'm I'm tired. And I go home for the holidays. Um, so like Christmas and New Year. No, just Christmas. I come back for New Year's. And... He was leaving for Sydney to go to Hillsong College. <laughs> and it was his last Sunday. And it was another friend's last Sunday who was also leaving. And I was like, I'm just going to go and say bye. I don't know why I did it. I go to church December 29th. And I sit on the side. I didn't, I didn't volunteer. I didn't do anything. I just sat there, listened to whoever was speaking. And I was like, this isn't a good sermon. <laughs> this is like nothing. Be I like this never... is what I was missing out when I was <laughs> making this thing work. Yeah. I didn't even know what yeah. I was what I was putting helping put and out I there. Listen to one or two things, but I didn't really digest a lot of it until yeah. this time. I was like, nothing is theological. Nothing is theologically correct about what you're telling me. One, um, and it was just shitty. Like not yeah. a good. Not yeah. It wasn't good. Um, and after the service, I approach Steve to say bye. And he gives me a card. Like he wrote something for me, like, um, cause he was my friend supposedly. 
and he asked me like, Hey, um, it was just him, his wife and myself. Um, and he's like, how, how are you doing? And I was like, good. I haven't been going to church. I'm it's been my going great life. since I quit church. <laughs> my mental so much better. And he's like, oh, that's so sad that you're like not coming to church. And I'm like, why is that sad? Like, I'm good. Um, and he's like, well, are you going to find another church? And I was like, I don't know. Like, not right now. I don't, I don't feel the need to. Um, and he was like, well, you're always welcome here. You know, this is your home. And I was like, no, correction. A home is where someone is wholly welcome for who they are wholeheartedly here. I am not fully welcome. The welcome home sign has terms and conditions for someone like me. Mm, yeah. And he kind of just stays quiet. And I was like, that's not a home. That's just a house. And he kind of just stays there. And I was like, okay. And I was like, I, I have to go. Cause at that point my leader was approaching Cause she was also oh, going to say bye to him. I was like, I don't want to see her fucking face. Right, right. Um, I had the decency after that service to text her and say, Hey, I left Hillsong just FYI. Like right. don't contact me. Don't text me kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I get up and leave and I walk out and I, I ended up going again in February, but no, like as a visitor. Um, and I would sit next to the stage managers cause I knew, I knew them. Yeah. Um, and they would be like, Hey, I saved you a seat next to me. And I was like, okay, fine. And I went for, um, in February for the black history month in 2020, the first time okay. they ever actually did something that was, uh, <laughs> and they gave me a seat and Josh saw me. Um, and he met, he messaged me later. He's like, Hey, it was great to see you at church. It's like the person who never fucking showed up to anything is now DMing me saying it was great to see you at church. Because you're gone and you showed up after being gone. Yeah. And so after that, I was like, oh, open door. So I messaged him back and I was like, it's kind of shitty that as someone who was there from the start, literally from the start of Wednesday services, helped you build this church on your vision, because it's your vision as the pastor um, of this local campus, that you would never have the decency to never tell me the stance of Hillsong Church, you could have saved this headache. Mm. But yet, like, you, you guys kept were it going. fucking with my life. Yeah. I was like, you couldn't even say a goodbye. You couldn't even go to the hospital. And he messages me back. He's like, I'm not going to respond to this. The only wow. thing I'm going to say is that we loved you and please give the church the same grace we gave you in return. Oh my God. What grace? Oh, man. You're like, if I give you the same grace you gave me, you don't want to <laughs> see what that. Oh, I like the expression. I, ran I like the ex <laughs> I love the expression. Have the day you deserve. <laughs> yeah. So I like, and, and he mentioned something about I thought you were talking with with your leader. And I was like, so you did know that I was talking with her. Wow. And so I, was, I, I talked to her as a friend. And for her to be like also going to other people, like I'm glad she did get the support she needed if she needed at the time, but it, she should have been transparent with me and told me who was being, who things were being disclosed and what. Um, and, and they were all aware. And so they all had a responsibility and the kind of, 
in the kind of messages she was giving to you, no one can say, oh, that was just her. Because she was in contact with the leader above her and with the main leader who was the head of the whole thing. Like she was in contact with all of them. Yeah. And I kind of just confirmed to you they were all aware. Yeah. I realized they're all aware. This is a full on pattern. Um, And it was it was really, really frustrating to see that. So I later on in 2020, I ended up posting something and I tagged someone do better church was starting. Mm -hmm. Um, And they shared a story from Hillsong LA, where the leader had to out or the leader, the pastor was asking a leader to out the volunteers that were gay, because he wanted to mentor them. Oh, my God. And I was like, wait, is this a is this a pattern? Like, is this something that Hillsong does? So I posted and I was like, wait, they did this to me in Boston. They tried to mentor me. And all I was told is that, like, no, like, it's a case-by-case basis. And when I left, I was told that I was loved. What fucking love? And that they had given me the grace, that, that I should give the grace in return that they gave me. And I was like, but, and Carl over here was saying that we only talk about what we're for, not what we're against. So the fact that he's not talking about it is telling me that he's against it. Mm-hmm. And I tagged Carl and Josh Kimes. Josh Kimes quickly like blocks me. No, I tag him in a few things later and then he blocks me. Oh, okay. But then Carl ends up like seeing it and other people start messaging him about it. And I become the Boston situation within emails about what was happening here. And in the emails, it says like, oh, well, she was already on her way out. That's the hit that everyone gives when they're leaving. (laughs) And I was like, I was a fucking leader building this. Like I was in it. I was part of events, like helping you day in and day out, like during the week doing all these things. And yet you're discarding me as like uh oh she was on her way out whatever and so that was really eye-opening for me after i had left because i was still when you leave sometimes you still have a tug to go back uh-huh. um and and that for me was what m- made it so that the tug was ripped was like cut and i mm-hmm. didn't feel the need to go back anymore wow. um like seeing what Carl was saying about me and what Josh had already done through text that I screenshotted and posted it. Mm. Um, and people were like messaging, like, thank you for outing him. He's so fucked up. Like he's like a shitty person. He was like gaslighting me in messages too. Um, and that was kind of like what, what pushed it forward. And later on in 2020, I ended up talking to reporters um, mm-hmm. I was part of the Business Insider article, and then more oh, articles okay. started coming out. Um, uh, when the article for Business Insider came out, Brian Houston responded in a tweet saying, "Oh, the media talks. Um, there's gossipers speaking, but like they don't know the truth, something like that." And so I responded, and I was like, "Nobody told me. The media didn't tell me. Gossipers didn't tell me. I experienced it." as an events lead and as a connect group leader. And it almost killed me. And he quickly deleted the tweet after that. Um, Like I was quoted later uh, because of that. And then once that article came out of the tweets of his and and mine, he quickly deleted it. 
Um, and that for me was like starting to see now Brian. Now yeah. I was starting to see the chain. Yep. You just kept seeing higher up and you're like, okay, this bad at the closest level to me. What about above her? Oh, it's bad at the level above her. What about above him? It's bad at the mm-hmm. level above him, the pastor of your local church. What about, you know, the one above him, the NYC branch head leader? Oh, it's bad here. Yeah. What about the head of the whole freaking thing? Yeah. How is it? And it's the same yeah. trickle effect. Yeah. yeah. And then what I- is it like? What is it like for you when you hear people try and talk about Hillsong right now? Like, Oh, it's an isolated thing and it's the, there's so much good and it's not a, it's not the whole thing. It's not the whole thing. How does that feel? How does that resonate it's, inside of you? It's frustrating because I thought I was a, a single doubt. I thought I was a one and off. And then when I heard what happened in LA, I was like, there's something more systemic here. And then I heard later on some two of my friends who I knew were were gay within Hillsong Boston. Um, we had our own little like group that no one knew about and we would meet and talk and grab coffee. Um, they later told me they were being also mentored by Steve DeGrossa and they were being told that they were gay because they had problems with their dad. Um, oh and that God. they should just go and hook up with a girl or something and realize what it was like. Um Things like that. Like it was shitty. It, it okay. So, so people who are listening to this are probably aghast um, because you know it's it's an evangelical church, and they're advocating you know that that these these guys hook up with the girl to you know um, the the thing about Hillsong was that um, th- there was a lot of you know the the double the double speak right like. Um, you, you had, you know, pastors talking about, um, you know, being faithful, um, and not having sex, you know, outside of, outside of marriage. But, um, if you knew anybody in any level of, um, of service and leadership, you knew nobody was, was, was holding to those standards at all. And, um, and they knew so behind closed doors, they would make those kinds of uh, of comments. Yeah, one on one, they would. Yeah, yeah, but they but from from the platform, oh, they're they're towing the evangelical line. Mm-hmm. You know, no sex outside of marriage. But behind the scenes, if it if it suits them, they're going to use. Yeah. You know, oh well, you just sleep with a girl. That'll that'll fix this. Yeah, and it made me realize why they kept asking about my parents because they thought I had a bad relationship with them. And I was like, no, like now I just don't talk to my mom as often because we're trying to work through this of me coming out. And now like my mom's fully affirming and she like left her church because of it. Oh, Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, man. Like there's a lot of people where they don't get that. And I'm happy that Mm. you do have the privilege of having a mom. Like that's so huge. That's such a big deal. I feel very privileged because even in March of 2020, when I went to go visit her for her birthday, I surprised her. She had gone to a conference that morning, women's conference, and she went up to the stage. I didn't know this about her. She went up to the stage because they were asking if anyone wanted to say anything. And she grabbed the mic and said, in front of like thousands of women said, we need to love gay people more. She's like, my daughter. What was that like for you? Oh, what was I didn't like? find out about this till like a year <laughs> later. Um, she's like, she said, um, in the church, we were pushing people away. My daughter is gay. And I saw what it was like for me to push her away. 
and we we need to do better. She's like, I don't know what I believe in about this and I'm working through it, but she's still my daughter and we need to do better. Um, mm. And everyone shunned her after that. But she was like, I have my family. I don't care. Oh. <laughs> um, so for me, hearing that a year later, it, it was really surprising because I didn't know where she was at. She wasn't telling me much mm. of, of where she was at in the process of like, understanding or learning more about lgbtq people and identity so happy for her yeah <laughs> just so happy and and it, it really uh it brought tears to my eyes yeah. uh when i heard about that because it was like okay she was listening yeah. the moments when i thought she was just yelling at me or just she would randomly just start crying on the phone like two seconds into us on the phone and i would mm-hmm. have to be like nope i had to set my boundaries like if you're going to be crying i cannot be on the phone with you until you can calm down then you can call me back um and and to know that that actually worked and and for my sisters to also like step up and and tell her to stop to actually listen and for my aunts to also step in and be like what what the fuck are you doing you're pushing your daughter away like all these people around me that i didn't know we're helping behind me. the scenes behind we're, the scenes we're trying to build and support you and make sure that your mom could come around to being a supportive mommy of you oh so that was, was that like for you to like have that conversation and realize she was affirming and realize she changed her mind and all the stuff that had gone on in the background what was that what was that like now it i i've seen the the thing with my mom she had lost her identity in her in in who she was because of my dad we had grown up in a church that was like pushing women women had to be silent and for her after my dad passed she didn't know who she was she had an identity crisis and for her to find herself and now see that her children are also finding themselves and it's turning out to be way different than what she expected um she kind of had to sit down and realize that. And and for me, that was like very eye-opening to see the growth that she was going through. Um, it, it's gotten to the point where now my other sister who was questioning came out. Um, and my mom hasn't had the conversation with her, but I've been like mitigating it between mm. them because they're starting to like want to talk about it. Because it was really, like, her story is her story, and I'm not going to say anything, but it was really difficult. Like, that closeted me a lot. Mm. Um, That probably happened when I was, like, 17. I didn't come out to, like, four years later because of that. And I had to be far away. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm so happy for the healing work that's, yeah. that's beginning yeah. your so family. Yeah, so despite everything that happened at Hillsong and then, and the the pain and and the the anger that I felt there um, and the exclusion and the terms and conditions that I had to read between the lines because they weren't explicit. Um, on the other hand, I was going through a process with my family and, and learning with them because I, I was learning about myself as I was going through it um, and realizing that there, I do have a family. Um, mm. And even if it wasn't also my blood family, I also had chosen family that I found afterwards. Yeah. Um, it gets better. Yeah. 
And even if it's not the way that you thought it's going to be, like, it, it gets better. Yeah. Wow. You know, when we had Dennis on our episode and we're on our Hillsong kick and we're, you know, Nate's processing leaving. <laughs> and it's funny, he's left in 2007 before you even entered in. But these places leave a mark on you. And that's why we're covering it. We yeah. know that there are people who are who are still many years later going, what the heck happened? And as they see the stories break, it brings everything fresh just back to the surface. And the documentary that you were in that just broke mm-hmm. brings everything back to the surface. So we're re- revisiting and talking and we had Janice on and we had just watched a documentary. And by the way, Nate broke down after hearing you talk at the end. That's the part where when you were talking about how hard it was, I think they asked you a question at the end that was like personal about how does it feel now? And there was some shame mixed in with that. And, and you know, I wish I would have, I feel embarrassed or I don't know how you worded yourself about it all of like just buying into everything and then seeing how it turned. And they didn't give your story. But anyway, Nate, yeah. Nate, I'll get to back to that. But Nate goes, like, he he just resonated with what you said at the end. And I think a lot of people right now, I mean, people who are listening, some are coming out of Hillsong and trying to process and are listening to any episodes that people are covering on podcasts dealing with Hillsong. And we want to talk about that. We know there's a need there. But also, it's common. These threads are common in evangelical culture. And people feel embarrassed years later and are still dealing with the trauma. And like, how did I get sucked into all this? And this was this was nuts. This was bad for my mental health. This how was I so, you know, and, and Nate resonated with your feelings. And thank you for that transparency and that vulnerability of expressing that. And to everyone who's there. Yeah, that that's normal. And 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 there's hope on the other side of that. When we talked to Janice, I was like, Janice, I was the one beef I had with the documentary. I said this to her. This is how we end up. I'm like, okay, gotta get Noemi on the show. Because she she started saying when I said to her, I'm annoyed that like they underused you for the like they I watched did. the doc three hours long. I had heard enough of Janice's story on through listening to her podcast because she does a lot on social media talking about Hillsong and it's mm-hmm. she's entertaining she's like she's like a she's like um listening to politics from a late night comedian uh easy way to digest all the trauma <laughs> she she she'll take you through the honesty of it but she'll yeah. do it in a way that's lighthearted yeah. and makes you laugh at the absurdity of it um and I listening to so much of her Hillsong stuff and I went oh man she's such rich stories and listening to her podcast and I'm like I'm annoyed at the Hillsong documentary. In three hours, did they cover a lot? Yes. Did they cover really important stuff? Yes. Mm -hmm. Did they cover a lot of the meat of it? Yes. Did they barely scratch the surface? Yes. And part of that for me was seeing how they used you in that documentary, and I'm annoyed that they underused you. And the first thing she said was, no, Emmy was very underused. I'm not the only one. She is – her story, her entire story was just not not really told at all. And I thank you so much for – coming to actually share what you had gone through there because yeah again i feel like maybe that's the story of a lot of people at hillsong is like there's just so many stories and there's so much going on that's really messed up and i guess i'm gonna wrap up with a thought that was on my head i saw today someone say stop trying to get a seat at a table that jesus overturned Mm. And I was just like, wow, because I was reading that Casting Crowns and a bunch of other people were supposed to be doing a Hillsong concert together and Hillsong was the one that backed out. And I was annoyed because I'm like, this is such a ploy. Of course, Hillsong acted like they and they were backing out to recover from and and take care of our our community. Meanwhile, you know, the other people are like, we're going to lose ticket sales if you don't back out. Mm -hmm. So like, please back out. Right. We don't want to we don't want to distance ourselves from you because in case this connection is useful in the future, whatever deals we have behind closed doors financially, we don't want to say that's our reason. So you just back out and this looks better for all of us. 
And I mean, the way that I picked up on that, and again, can I prove anything that I'm saying? No, this is what I've seen from evangelical cultures, all speculation. I'm acknowledging I have no insider knowledge. And they're this very is what I'm good assuming. about not getting it in writing. Yeah. Right? But yeah. what I did see on the website was Casting Crowns talking about how just how much they support Hillsong and love and, and <laughs> want their and, and their best. And I'm like, when you see this kind of corruption and you act like they're a great organization that says something about you Mm -hmm. and i'm seeing that all over evangelicalism like when people are aligning with hillsong still i'm like either you're completely ignorant which there's no excuse for this you can do you can go watch a document there's so many hillsong documentaries the one you're in is not the only one but that's a i'm going to recommend one i think that one is the most comprehensive i've seen to date but there have been others before the fact that there are so many speaks to the culture of how messed up things have gotten yeah. at Hillsong. But yeah. like for any evangelical organizations to still affiliate or saying something about themselves. And when I saw that quote about stop trying to get a seat at the table that Jesus overturned, I'm like, yes, yes. All of these Christians that are still trying to be like, but there's good at Hillsong and there's Jesus has turned over that table. He is showing that this is corruption, that this is gross. Yeah. And if you're ignoring that and you're like, Let's pray God's going to do a great thing. Grace, good, something good happened with my kid when they listened to Heal Song music one time. So we're going to disregard everyone and all the victims and all the corruption in the whole organization and just focus on that one good, good part of it. I just, yeah. To, to add Heal Song lingo to that, we're trying to sit at the Heal Song merch table in the Welcome Lounge. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus already what? overturned it. <laughs> the merch table in the Welcome Lounge. Oh, yeah. God. I yeah. so appreciate Well, at least we're you. not all trying to claw for the green room, right? Oh, God. Where the, food, <laughs> where the actual food is at? <laughs> yeah, where the actual food is at. Did they have a green oh, room God. in Boston? They did. Of course, of they, course did. they did. Of course they did. This is everywhere. It's everywhere. Yep. This thing it's is the culture. everywhere. I would sneak in there during service and everyone was like in and I would yeah. like, grab yeah. something. Oh, yeah. That's how That's how I ended up with... Um, uh, that's how I ended up with these stickers. You no! can't see this. You guys can't see this. But it is a special sticker that Nate I, got on his Bible. That is a so, Hillsong merch sticker. That's yeah, only it's not given room, on the merch the tables. Room was, the green not room given was, out to the average empty. people. Right. We'll, we'll probably cut this part out, but yeah. <laughs> um anyway. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Noemi, for, for joining us. Um, Thank on, you. Thank on you for having me for, and for listening. Yeah, I really appreciate your, um, your vulnerability and your honesty. And I hope that if you're listening to this, um, that you'll, you'll take some of this to heart, that these organizations that we talk about on our podcast, um, there are no two ways about it. They're corrupt and they are hurting people. And there's no redeeming qualities here. You know, it, it's not, it's all bathwater. There's no baby. All right. Yeah. So there's no anyway. saving a baby. It's not in there. It's yeah. left. It's yep. turning over their tables. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> exactly. That wraps up another episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. And if you don't already have one, head over to our website, fullmutuality.com, for a list of all the apps you can find us on. We couldn't do this without you, our listeners. So thank you so much for your continued support. Speaking of support, one of the best things you can do for us is to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I'm pretty sure five-star reviews get you an extra crown in heaven. Look, seriously, if you found this episode insightful, spread the word and share it with your friends. 
And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Full Mutuality. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode of the Full Mutuality Podcast.